an adage of internet culture stating that, without a clear indicator of the author's intent, it is impossible to create a parody of extreme views such that it cannot be mistaken by some readers for a sincere expression of the views being given. Welcome to the Pose Laws podcast. We're Jack and Levi, the internet's foremost anthropologists, exploring the obscure and the weird. Yes, uh, on the Pose Laws podcast, we are trawling the internet for fresh perspectives from the edge of culture. And we ask, is it a troll? So, Jack, what have we, uh, what have we got on store for episode one? So for our first episode, we've got the 2018 opus, The Bronze Age Mindset, by who I'm assuming to be the pseudonymously named Bronze Age pervert. Mm. Yes, an instant classic. Look, it's actually uh, sold better than I would have expected. So it's an e-book. I've got it on Kindle. Uh, I'm assuming you have the same. (laughs) How how much did we pay for this book? Paid uh, Uh, it was eleven bucks Australian for me, I think. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So we we gave this man. We've supported this young, fine gentleman with 24 Australian dollars. Yeah. So who is Bronze Age pervert? It's unclear. Um, Online, I found a few potential real people who might be Bronze Age pervert. Oh, really? Including a Romanian-American academic at Yale. But none, none of these are verified. He does have or did have a Twitter account now banned where he claimed to be an amateur nudist bodybuilder, mostly posting pictures of bodybuilders of aesthetic physiques and the the relevance of that will become evident later. It's philosophically relevant in the context of the Bronze Mindset. (laughs) This is philosophically relevant. And do you think there's much, I guess we can get into it, later to the details but uh much credibility to the to the claim that he's an academic at what stanford or whatever i have no fucking idea Mm. (laughs) i don't know how i would work this out um i suppose you could try to find videos of this particular academic and compare it to bronze age perverts podcast because he does have a podcast it's caribbean rhythms with bronze age pervert In in addition, he does have a Telegram group, so he got banned from Twitter. Um, I'm not sure if the Telegram group was being run contemporaneously with his Twitter account, but his Telegram account is still live. It's got and should we um almost almost fifteen and a half thousand um subs? So clearly he has an audience. How many of those are active? I'm not quite sure, but he's obscure. But he is making this work. That there are people listening beyond the two of us yeah he he also has a gum tree where he sells uh like i think it's a gum road i hadn't heard Uh, sorry not a gum tree yeah gum gum road yeah 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 that's it i hadn't heard of this previously yeah yeah so it's like an internet marketplace for creators um to like sell stuff directly to the audience he has uh 1400 um, ratings and a 5.0 out of five and and yeah uh the minimum monthly contribution of five dollars and you can make a yearly contribution of fifty dollars so like he's you need to contribute to to rate i think yeah i believe that's how gumroad works yeah so i mean i have to respect the guy for making this work he he might be making a reasonable amount of money for this which we too have contributed to 
Yes, yes. Well, oh, okay. So another one of his stats is back to the Bronze Age mindset. He uh, he has mm. one thousand as of the recording of this podcast. He has one thousand and seventy four ratings. Um, his rating is four point six out of five stars with an eighty two percent five star rating for Bronze Age, <laughs> and it's it's twelve dollars a pop and twelve Australian dollars. <laughs> so if 10% and look the numbers the 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 uh, estimates for the number of people who rate actually you know give a rating for a kindle book is like you know between 5 and 10%. So if 10% of the people who bought his book actually gave a rating then he sold 10,000 copies of this thing at $12 each. So he made like 100 grand on it. I've made so many poor decisions in my life. This might be becoming <laughs> evident if I couldn't make <laughs> way more money by writing the Bronze Age mindset and becoming the Bronze Age pervert. Why did I spend all like really years getting, getting a higher education when I could have just made nature? You can pick between <laughs> student debt or becoming you know, the, the pervert of your historical age of choice in Becoming a, a so, king. <laughs> after after hyping this book up this much, how about we start discussing it? Yeah, for some. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. I I think just before we move on, like to give to give some weird amount of credit before we, we get into the book. Like he is definitely uh, probably making a living out of what he's doing, and that on that level is like quite. He knows his audience, and he's making it. He's making it work. He's an entrepreneur. He identified a niche, identified an audience, he's, he's identified an me, and filled it. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, he's a, no, he is, he is technically an entrepreneur. Yes, a startup. You know, Jack. There's, there's only two types of people in this world. There's dogs and there's wolves. <laughs> and he's he's a wolf. <laughs> I, believe, I believe you mean frogmen and bugmen. <laughs> to those who don't know. Let us enlighten you. You'll be expert in, in Bronze Age pervert thought. So before we start discussing the book proper, how likely did you feel that this was a troll going into it? Yeah, I if I remember correctly, I I tried to I I I thought he was being sincere. I, I looked at it. Um the blurb, as we'll we'll read a bit of the blurb, is is ridiculous but but funny and i i i I thought no i i've been on (laughs) (laughs) bodybuilding.com i know i know what uh i I, you know i i thought it was sincere i i was going in like actually reading like okay let's see what this guy's gonna talk about um and i got a surprise really (laughs) what about you what do you reckon before you before you opened it up i was Leaning much more towards troll than I think you are. Uh, <laughs> I read the blurb. It says something about Bronze Age pervert being suspected as Steve Bannon's insider in the White House, and I thought, no, nah, this is <laughs> this is very <laughs> elaborate theatre. This is performance. Yeah, art. that was maybe the line that like like was suspicious. It it read too much <laughs> like the sort of thing that I would find funny. The, the last like few lines. Of the, of the blurb are really good. Having mentioned the blurb, I feel like we should probably read through it because it gives both an overview of the content of this book, but it also gives a fairly good overview of the tone and it might 
might clarify why I thought this was probably a troll. Quote, the Atlantic named this author as possibly Steve Bannon's contact in the White House, in brackets, Rosie Gray, The Atlantic, February 10, 2017. Think you should speak directly to my WH cutout slash cell leader, Yavin said in an email. I've never met him and don't know his identity. We just DM on Twitter. He's said to be very close to Bannon. Goal is to intimidate Congress with pure masculine show of youth energy. Trump is said to know will coordinate with powerful EOs, in bracket. And a recent Vox article, in brackets, Tara Isabella Burton, Vox June 1, 2018, claimed that he is the text to Jordan Peterson's subtext and a distilled form of Peterson. Distilled means purer. Yes, so why not read and understand the purer version? T.I. Burton also adds in this article that the author Bronze Age pervert is a kind of priest king to thousands on Twitter and outsiders possibly leading a spiritual reawakening. Levi, would you like to continue or should I keep reading? <laughs> no, no, I'll, I'll take it. You want to have a go? <laughs> Thank you. So, I'll uh, relieve you of your duties. Uh, some say <clears throat> some say that this book found in a safe box. Sorry, I can't give it a straight face. Found in a safe <laughs> box in the port area of Kowloon was dictated because Bronze Age pervert, capital B, capital A, capital P, <laughs> refuses to learn that goes what goes saying. <laughs> quote unquote the low and plebeian art of writing. It isn't known how this book was transcribed. <laughs> the, the contents are pure dynamite. He explains that you live in an ant farm, that you are observed by the lords of lies, ritually probed. Ancient man had something you have lost, confidence in his instincts and strength, knowledge in his blood. BAP, BAP shows how the Bronze Age mindset can set you free from the iron prison and help you embark on the path of power. He talks about his about life, biology, hormones. He gives many examples from history, both ancient and modern, and he shows the secrets of the detrimental robots, how they hide and fabricate. He helps you escape gynocracy and ascend to fresh mountain air. <laughs> <laughs> Should we finish it off? The pricing uh, he insisted on against all of us. So the, the pricing, presumably in American, is uh, $6.69. The pricing he insisted on <laughs> against all advice, it refers to the lucky 969 movement of Burma led by the noble monk Wirathu. Praise be to the pervert. Praise be to this teaching of his piece. Be careful. Right. So that... That's actually a reasonable encapsulation of the book, um, including some of his oddities of prose. Have you noticed he doesn't use articles fairly regularly? Yes, and I, I, I thought at first I thought, so I guess we'll read some quotes, but at first I thought he was putting on like a show, like a like kind of like I'm a Bronze Age, like, you know. yeah. BAP pick up deer rock carcass, carcass, yeah, big rock and you know, take woman. Um, but I, I think maybe after listening to his podcast a little bit, that potentially it might just be like, like his English isn't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, like, my, my first impression was that he might be a non native speaker of English and spoke a language which didn't have articles, and so I had trouble with that, like, say, Slavic language. If he is Romanian, then that won't be the case because it's a Romance language. But I think maybe 
but it wasn't. I think I think he did do some of the the like the Stone Age like uh, like like uh, way of speaking a bit. But then maybe yeah, it's also not his first language. Like it's, English is clearly not his first language. After yeah, um, he's actually a fairly good speaker. Actually, I think. But like yeah, I enjoyed the prose because it's. It's very odd. It's the combination of some grammatical errors and his tendency to spell words in a really strange way, you know, attack spelt with a Q. Um, I enjoyed that, actually. Hormones spelt like W-H-O-R-E-M-O-A-N-S. Uh, he he has a lot of things where... like this where he'll spell something in you know, an, an intentionally unusual way. Yeah. Whether it's trying to convey a message or not is often unclear, but I did enjoy the oddity of it. He, he did a kind of, like thing, something to it, like tropes, like human, like H U E, yeah, human, like H U E, human, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then yeah, and then some things were really inconsistent. And then he also had outbursts. Anyways, we're getting we're starting to get into the weeds. <laughs> let's uh, let's, uh, let's uh, kind of. You know, step back, get the bigger picture. Hey, that's the blurb. That's uh, I think Jack and I are actually coming into this like fairly as, as friendly as we can. <laughs> I think I have an open mind. There were there were parts of it that I liked that you strongly agreed with. I, you know, in fact, I I'm pretty sure you rang me when you finished reading the book and you just said, ah, I loved it. I loved every word of it. I agree with it 100. <laughs> percent <laughs> so we've we've discussed a lot of stuff around the book let's actually discuss the book itself now and i think yep. a good place to start is to start with bronze age perverts first principles because from those you can then understand his concepts of civilization civilization will decline how we get out of it what the the ideal man is the problem with women all sorts of all sorts of stuff like that can be best understood within the context of his foundational principles. So, Levi, there were a few there are a few themes that he regularly returns to. Some of which were discussed at the beginning of the book. Many of which just pop up seemingly randomly, and I think it'll make it'll make much more sense if we can gather those things together before we go on to discussing some of his more concrete views yeah. of civilization and gender relations, race relations, all the good stuff. I think purity. Yes. <laughs> so I mean one one important thing that he talks about a lot is space. I mean, his idea of space is really central to all sorts of things, say central to nobility, central to the development of a good person versus the development of a bug man, which is a pejorative term of his that describes a certain type of modern human who's servile, submissive, buys into big science, buys into nerdish thought. Yeast, the yeast people. Yeast, yeast mode of existence, yeah, yeah. the, the yeah. existence for existence's sake. And a lot of this can come back to his conception of space, which is Quite expansive, no pun intended. So noble animals need space physically and they need to spread out and dominate space, but they also need to do so within a, a mental space. They need space that's not impinged on by power structures or 
a gynocracy or an overbearing government within which they can develop their own ethics and their own view of the world, their own appreciation of beauty. Yes. What was what was your take on his view of space? I thought it was really important. Yeah, I think, uh, <laughs> you know, going back to the plot about the claim of being a pure distilled version of Peterson, you <laughs> potentially, uh, insofar as your physical uh, environment is a reflection of or can actually shape your psychology. Yeah, he basically, like, I don't know how to explain it other than to say he, it comes from everything. So he he likes his personal space. He thinks young men should have the space to, like, grow, I suppose, into their masculinity. Um, and space in terms of, like, for example, cities versus the Mongolian steppe. Um yeah, like cities, or the open not sea. Fun, or the open sea. Like, yeah, it's it's quite foundational, and it's hard to. I suppose space is such a broad concept that it it affects a lot of his views about everything. Essentially, is absolutely the foundation one of one of the foundational concepts. Yeah, and it's it's. Yeah, in a, in a foundational philosophical sense, it's very important to him. But even on a personal level, he's got this thing about people sitting next to him in empty restaurants mm, and yeah, people eating great... with their mouths open too close to him. And both of those things can be related to his love of space as well. Additionally, say different races have different requirements for space, and that is a direct reflection of how noble that race is. So in his view, East Asians have a very low space requirement, Africans have a bit more, and whites have the greatest requirement of space. And that that is directly equivalent to how noble those races are. You know, whites are the most noble in part because of their large requirement for space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe, Maybe a quote. But rarely do I feel angrier as a violation of my privacy than if I eat in a restaurant alone and someone comes to sit right next to me when the whole place is empty. Vilest of all is when a group of something I think were subcons or Han, I I, I assume that's some sort of racial epithet, um, came and sat just by me in an entirely empty restaurant and started to eat with mouths open. Yeah, I, I remember that part because that was after... This anecdote that he was he was giving about how he was at the gym or just after having work worked out and a Chad was feeling him up because they thought that yeah. he'd stolen their wallet or something. <laughs> and that violation of space wasn't what offended him. And perhaps that ties into his respect for masculinity that we'll discuss later. You know, maybe the Chad was was invading his space in a more masculine way. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and then, then the the people who were eating with their mouths open beside him in a restaurant. I uh, I think that there was a quote, if I remember correctly, about claustrophobia being the noblest of phobias. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was a real ability. Um, I think I think that really gets the point across. <laughs> yeah, so we've. We've gone over space, and I'm sure we will will incidentally also be discussing his conception of space later because it ties into so many things. This is a really foundational principle of Mr. Perverts. What about will? He's got this idea of will as this universal force 
somewhat like Nietzsche and Schopenhauer, both of whom he he obviously really likes, like will to, you know, like because uh, like uh, Nietzsche, for example, is like will, uh, will to power or like, the, you know, Schopenhauer is like the will to life. So what, what exactly uh, is Bronze Age, the will to <laughs> expand in, expand territory, expand into space, procreate? <laughs> Do you want to expand on it a little bit? Yeah, so that, that there's the aspect of expanding in space, um, which, you know, procreation is an aspect of that. But I, he seems to view the will as something more foundational, like a, a fundamental aspect of the universe. He describes will as this primordial force that seeks to arrange itself into increasingly stranger shapes. And... It, can, it expresses itself in different ways, in different contexts. In, saliently in the context of biology, it seeks to produce more and more perfect specimens. Yeah. Uh, which in, in the realm of science, it seeks to, or I should, I should qualify that as true science, capital S science. Yeah. It seeks to uncover or reveal the correct hierarchy of virtues, the correct hierarchy of people, of animals, and so on. Yes. And it, it can it exercises these roles in various ways. So one thing, and this relates to his views of civilization, one way that the will exerts exerts its power is by culling less less capable animals so when he, he he talks about how when a, a population i think he was talking about when a population of fish or some animals living in a pond when their numbers grow too great when the population increases too much there there's too much detritus and trash as you as, as he refers to the the weaker members of the population when that grows too great there, there will come about a particularly large or particularly vigorous monster mm. that will just kill a bunch of the the less worthwhile life forms in that pond or that lake, or you know, which, yeah, whichever we biome know. you're discussing. And that's that's sort of how the will <laughs> the, the will culls away the less worthy. He does reference, he, he clearly, that's one of the other people he likes. He clearly is informed by uh, H.P. Lovecraft. And I, I believe he actually explicitly <laughs> yeah. talks of, he explicitly drop, name drops Nyalan Tep, one, one yeah, of the Eldritch. Tep or however you meant to say. Yeah, yeah. The Eldritch. Something, uh, something in an Eldritch who, tongue that makes you go insane if you hear it properly. So he, he clearly likes the idea of um, cleansing. Yes. Um, yeah, so he, he he likes the the will's purgative function. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and and the will is like uh, it's it's uh, it's not inherently about you know like for example like Schopenhauer talks about the will to life and kind of like the drive to you know like create the next generation or whatever and um, and. There's this part in uh, Bronze Age mindset where he talks about the distinction between uh, a chimp 
in the zoo and a chimp in the wild. Mm-hmm. Um, do we want to? <laughs> <laughs> unpack that I think I think let's, look, let's that go and talk about masturbating chimps. I think <laughs> it's important. This is this is this clearly is, is so one, one of the is, enduring mysteries of the universe: why chimps in captivity masturbate. And I think Bronze Age mindset might have figured put this it out. Rest. So, so one of one of his key arguments, or you know, an argument early in the book about you know uh, space, it relates to space. So chimps in captivity, it relates to sexuality, and it relates to the will to life or the the will. Um, and he basically makes this comparison between a chimpanzee in in captivity will masturbate a lot, and uh, whereas <laughs> a chimp in the wild will not masturbate, <laughs> and, <laughs> and and part of the reason why is the chimp in in captivity has no ability to dominate or to control um one's it, its space and it knows that it is it is captive and so it, turns, it basically turns to masturbation <laughs> he talked about you know the growing onanism of our society and and yeah direct directly compares it to the caged chimpanzee who on some level gives up and realizes that it it lives in own space. It can't express. Oh, that's itself. right. He calls it own space. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, no, so that's a really key term. It, it own starts space, like it, And in 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 the context of our society, he feels that that's because our hidden masters try to normalize vice and titillate us with hollow sexual imagery to keep us drained of sexual energy and this drive to dominate. One of his comparisons, like one, he, he spends quite a while talking about teenage boys <laughs> and the development of their sexuality. Yeah, how, aesthetic youths. How we, we, I think we can unpack a little bit later when he talks about his views on like women and gynocracy and stuff. But the chimp also relates to like teenage boys who are growing up in say like industrial education systems where like mm-hmm. they're, they're in a high school or whatever, and. Uh, and they know subconsciously that they're in their own space, and it and it and it um it leads to the malformation, shall we say, <laughs> of, of their of their their uh, masculine development, much 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 like the chimp. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I agree with his conclusions about the consequences of what a teenage boy growing up in in a high school. Like as we can talk, later, like what that leads to. But I do agree that it's. See, this is one of the things about like the book. Like I kind in a weird way, like I see where he's coming from. Like yeah, like teenage boys and chimps shouldn't be locked in cages, and yeah, insofar <laughs> as a high school is a cage. Um, <laughs> so I can see why he doesn't like. I agree with him. Yeah, high school suck, and and chimps being in cages suck, and clearly. I assume chimps. I, I assume if for nothing else than boredom, chimps in the wild probably don't masturbate as much <laughs> as, 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 as as chimps in in a cage. <laughs> yeah, so I I like your your Straussian approach to reading Bronze Age mindset. <laughs> Try to understand where, where the author is coming from. Uh, I, I think. Masturbating chimps 
ties quite nicely into another one of his first principles <laughs> is his his problem with Darwinism. So he 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 takes exception with evolution by natural selection fairly fundamentally um for for reasons of his his belief in the will as this universal force mm. and also his belief in the necessity of space so fundamentally he thinks that life for life's sake or the, the view of living for life's sake is wrong in some way degenerate which is where yeah, i think he does living which I think this is quite an view of of the will to live. Yes, because and I think that, it's that quite very much, you know, this 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 will to continue living for life. He views true life or uncorrupted life as living in living without. He calls it the gravity mm. of necessity. So you live a life without the gravity of necessity in your own space, not in own space. Uh, in your own space. Where you you can develop your he he, he says you know, you develop your claws if nature has given you any. It's within that that sort of free environment that noble creatures can self develop. He takes real exception to the idea that Dar- Darwin adduced and people before Darwin also discussed that it is based on struggle that you get evolution. You know, you have some sort of evolutionary pressure. Yeah. And then the animals that that have you know some particular adaptation to that are more likely to reproduce, more likely to continue their line than those that don't. He so he he strangely at the same time disputes this. He says that life doesn't operate this way. But then he also goes on to say that it's it that that Darwinist conception of selection is trivially true. He says, you know, of course those that don't die out then reproduce. He also he also actually makes a number of other fairly, to my mind, Darwinist assertions. So he he talks about how you know, noble creatures prefer death to captivity or death to living in own space. And if there aren't enough free spaces, they die out. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that was actually a very Darwinist thing to say. <laughs> but <laughs> this we an ongoing theme that he... He's not totally consistent in he, what he, he kind says. Of picks and chooses a little bit. So one of the things I, I did want to mention is that, like, one this is um, uh, definitely where sort of his Nietzschean influence. Like, he 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 loves Nietzsche. Like, I would say that. Of all yeah, the, yeah, of yeah. All he, the, he's definitely the sipping so hard he, for Nietzsche. He he he's, he's sipping so hard for Nietzsche. <laughs> Um, like one, well, one uh, for historical context, um, like uh, uh, Nietzsche was not a fan of of Darwin and his time, um, and you know whether or not Nietzsche actually ever actually uh, you know read the Origin of the Species or directly communicated with Darwin is a different issue. But from from what we can tell from my Nietzsche's writings, what he was exposed to of of uh, of Darwinian theory at the time, he was not a fan of. And secondly, I, I think like Bronze Age is clearly uh, so one one of the things that I like about the, the pervert, Mr. Pervert, is is that he he, he is picking up um Nietzsche's 
philosophies about, you know, like uh, not merely living a life, you know, like Nietzsche has this kind of idea ultimately of, you know, I, I guess <laughs> kind of like a, a fairly simple one way of putting it is like living life to the fullest. Um, and, uh, and, and Bronze Age in his own weird kind of bodybuilding.com sort of way is, I guess, exposing, at least like on some level, exposing exposing his audience to like the philosophy of, of nature, which is quite, you know, credit where credit's due. I think that's good. And he, he's picked it up and he's ran with it. I don't know how Nietzsche would respond to Bronze Age himself, but I suppose he's, 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 he's definitely a disciple. Yeah, it's um, it's sort of like reading Nietzsche drunk. If the translator was Ziz, is sort sort of the experience of reading Bronze Age mindset. Potentially, yeah, yeah, definitely, he has bouts of being drunk. So, I guess from the the Darwin, like the his his criticism of Darwin to kind of keep on going on that point is. T- tied into his criticism, I suppose, of science in general um, and how he, yeah, he never, he never explains exactly what he considers true science, but he definitely does not appreciate the, the modern state of science um, and how, how in his view it is, I suppose, not not practised properly, I suppose. He, again, it's hard to say because he never actually says what he thinks is science, but he, he does talk a lot of crap about, about uh, Darwin and other science. <laughs> yeah, so he, I think we definitely should stay on the subject of Darwin and science for a while because this is really important. It's also one of the weakest parts of the book. Uh, his criticisms... Don't really. They either like they they they're either incoherent or based on fairly outdated information. So I just in I think it's a sentence in the book where he actually talks about what true science is, or at least a function of true science, which is to find the the hierarchy of beliefs, you know, of better and better beliefs, and the hierarchy of better and better creatures, you know, biological creatures, within which you would find the hierarchy of human beings. He's so, we've we've discussed this problem with Darwin in that Darwin talks about the need for life for life's sake or that life is fundamentally a state of trying to exist and reproduce, which he doesn't agree with. He also, he, he also dislikes Darwin, but from a almost from an argument from authority by invoking nature. So nature, I'm pretty sure he was paraphrasing nature from beyond good and evil, where nature calls Darwin sort of a petty collector of facts that he puts together and makes cockamamie theories out of. And he couples this with discussing physics, physicists and chemists, uh, and he says that you know, better minds go into physics and chemistry. Nietzsche, when he was describing Darwin as, you know, this petty collector of facts, you know, at least in my reading, was describing really all scientists in that way. I don't think he was particularly singling out 
Darwinists, which which makes that argument from authority a bit shaky, considering that I don't think Nietzsche was actually saying what Bronze Age pervert is ascribing to him. He also, he has a very... So his idea of how you should carry out science is to just observe without any preconceptions. So he talks about how we should... You know, the, the best way, say, to study animal behaviour is to have a device that allows monitoring of, say, an animal's internal state remotely without interacting with the animal, which is a fairly difficult engineering problem. But, you know, so supposing we had this sort of device, he says that we should just hit record, start observing the animal, and from that really develop... Uh, predictive models, you know, something that will allow us to predict what the animal will do and nothing else, um, which the, the fact that he so developing testable hypotheses to guide what sort of data you gather, so you can differentiate between signal and noise in data and also the power of creating descriptive models rather than just predictive models of the world, uh, he, he really doesn't view that as important either. And I think that's a fairly fundamental misunderstanding of what science should do and what good science entails. His approach to science I just don't think would get us very far. And for someone who talks so much about the need for mastery over space, I mean, better science leads to better technology, which leads to better mastery over space. So I, I just don't think he's being... He's being completely consistent with his own stated beliefs while also not quite understanding how science is carried out today. I think... What, what were your thoughts on it? In my view, uh, I don't think that Mr Pervert understands science. This is... Um, uh, yeah, he, he makes an argument about, you know, just observing things. Again, as you say, about not not imposing, I suppose, our uh, a, a, uh, a model or, or, like, not not making any assumptions. But, again, as I guess as you've already noted, like, which, which pieces of data should we observe in the first place is itself a conjecture about what's mm. important uh, and with regards to what, unless we just record all data about an organism without any interpretation or without any, uh, you know, without any uh, uh, prioritisation or without asking questions about like, okay, well, what, what does X mean in in uh, in in the context of this animal's life or whatever, it's yeah. He, he clearly, I I don't know where he's gotten this because it's not clear to me that he got this from nature. This idea from nature, I don't I don't know why he thinks this. He doesn't really explain it. If I I'll just read a quick thing about this is this is more specifically about Darwin, but I think it might give you some sense of how he talks about. Uh, just in general, how he approaches his the way that he treats his opposing, you know, the people that he disagrees with. He doesn't necessarily give a very coherent uh, refutation. So, uh, nor do I believe in the quote-unquote miracle that modern science has invented 
that is hiding under the word, quote unquote, random mutation and the hand waving of, quote unquote, incremental change. There is not enough time um, emphasis, uh, nor enough number of specimens, nor the kinds of, quote, mutations observed to support either natural selection or Lamarckism as explanations of evolution. Many of the mathematical models for how a trait will spread in a population have failed. They don't tell you this. Um, they, I assume it's like just the they. Um, yeah, yeah. And, um, like, I don't, like, for example, when he says there's not enough time, uh, it seems to me that th- three and a half billion years from, you know, or three, three to four billion years, let's call it, uh, is quite a lot of time. And depending on the replication rate of a species, that can be a lot of generations. So Mm. he just kind of like asserts, he just, he just asserts there isn't enough time and that there isn't enough specimens. And he doesn't, he doesn't sort of like expound on that or like explain his logic. He just sort of says, this is, there's not enough time. Um, And he, he, he speaks like that quite often. He just says, no, that's just not the case, you know, whatever person that he's mm. disagreed with. Um, and I think that's what how he sort of treats science. He just says, like, these things are not science and I'm just going to say, like, no, there's not enough time or whatever. Um, and, yeah, it doesn't sort of, like, dive any deeper, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I, I think he, he, he does seem to get a bit confused about some theory. So an, another... It ties into that criticism you were discussing about how there's not enough time. He talks about how really evolution via natural selection, random mutations, is too complex a theory, how you're you're just erecting this extremely convoluted framework to describe something like you know, a bacterial flagellum evolving. And he compares it, he compares it with something that he thinks is a better example of good science of a simple explanatory model, which is the Ptolemaic system for describing the position of celestial bodies in the sky. And I think he's actually got it the wrong way around because with, say, Darwinism or you know, what what has evolved since I think it was 1859 that the origin yes. of the species was yes. published in. So additionally, Bronze Age perverts reading list is a bit out of date evolutionary science has moved on a bit since the mid 19th century that that is a theory that's actually very simple in it in its mechanism i mean you have a context within which certain species live depending on the particular abilities of a given member of the species they will have more children on average than some other members who have less advantageous mutations leading to particular characteristics of them. That's actually a very simple mechanism. Just more competitive things generally will proliferate more than less competitive things. And that's almost tautological to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's so, yeah, it's it's sort of trivially true. It sounds trivially true. Like all really good ideas, once you hear them, you think, well, how could it have been otherwise? Mm. It's very obvious when someone tells you. But that, that, that's a, a very simple mechanism which leads to very complex emergent phenomena. And from that, you do get, you know, the human brain, you get the eye. Flagellum. As, as he discusses, yeah, you know, a, a bacterial flagellum. Whereas the Ptolemaic system, 
is actually a very complex mechanism. Like the number of circles within circles within circles of of orbits, because you know the, the circle was seen as more perfect than than say an elliptical orbit, which was ultimately a much more simple mechanism that was worked out later. That's a much more complex mechanism used to describe more simple appearing phenomena. And I think he just doesn't appreciate the distinction between mm. descriptive mechanism and the output of that mechanism. Yeah. Or what it, yeah, what it's the complexity the, or potentially emergent complexity of the system is describing. Yeah. I, I, would, I would say in my assessment... That he, uh, yeah, as you said, he's, he's 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 talking about he's trying to refute ideas that are 150 years old um, and have been <laughs> updated since. And even in the mention of Lamarck, like you don't need to talk about Lamarck anymore. Like, like, like Lamarck gets two slides in a university biology course. Mm. Like, like it's not like that needs to be a point of contention. You know, that's you know, modern biology has moved on from that. <laughs> it's moved on. Yeah, I mean, look to, to an extent with epigenetic change, which could be heritable. Lamarckianism does have some. You, you could wrangle it to have some odd place, but yeah, broadly speaking, it's not. <laughs> yeah, you could. Um, it's it's so not really that important. I personally think that um, Mr. Pervert is he stopped reading after the sort of. 19th century except for reading Paglia and then <laughs> and yeah so anyways what else what else how about so we've, we've we've gone over space we've gone over will we've gone over science we've gone over life to quite an extent you know his belief in overpopulation the need for overpopulated groups to be culled we could touch on hormones briefly actually because you know while we're we're discussing Darwinism and life. He d- he seems to think of hormones as the key to everything. Yes, he's um, a big fan of he's he's got yeah, some very, interesting very views of hormones. hormones. It's a combination of so he 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 it's doesn't like medical them. science for quite a number of reasons for some legitimate reasons. So I mean, I, I think he gets wrong the fundamental mechanism of science, but he discusses some of the social problems or the problems of applications of medical science, saying that it's captured by you know it. If not totally, then to a large extent by financial interest, interest of prestige on behalf of, say, an organisation or an individual, and just individual biases. Of course, every scientist is human and will carry with them particular biases because that's unavoidable. I think he actually gets that criticism right, but he makes other criticisms saying that the reason why we haven't appreciated hormones as the, the foundational aspect of life is that, uh, well, one, we can't have true science because women are in science and we need lactation rooms. We have scientific organisations tyrannised over by, I think it was by HR management cunts with fibromyalgia or something like that. Yes. It was a very miserable think, yes. turn of phrase. He, the, the corruption or the, uh, the degradation of modern science uh, in, in view of the gynocracy, which we, we will probably talk about next. While we're on the topic of science, though, before we leave, and I said we were going to spend a while on this because it's, it's really important, <laughs> the role of reason. He, yes. So a, he, he, he's quite anti-enlightenment. You definitely get the impression that he's, he's not a cause. He shares a lot of Nietzsche's sus- suspicions yeah. of the enlightenment. And one of those is 
his view of, of reason. And he, he defines reason really as a way of communicating insights between people, not as a way of actually discovering something. And he he views true discovery to be purely just a sort of leaps of imagination, sudden insights that mm. aren't well described. So he just, he talks about geometry and how mathematicians will intuit something. Or yeah, intuitionist argument. And that formalisation in language to you know, transmit these ideas to other people is, in Bronze Age perverts' view, what reason actually is. If you redefine reason to be a communicative device, then, yeah, I suppose it's trivially true that it's not used to discover things. I would ask, though, I mean, if if you have these sudden leaps of imagination and you don't subsequently interrogate them, you're not sure whether they're true or not, or I'm not sure how you know whether they're true or not. Seems to be a, an issue, or I, I would regard as an issue if we're trying to actually work anything out. His epistemology is not clear like what like how how do you make such a leap of imagination and how do you determine that that leap of imagination as opposed to an alternative leap of imagination is the correct because you could you know the sensation of something being true like eureka moment uh you know there's plenty of people who had eureka moments about you know some insight or proposed supposed insight into the world and they were wrong <laughs> and you know other people have that insight had some insight and they were right it, he, like he just kind of takes it it's almost like just a it's a, it's almost an axiom that okay if you have this insight this leap of imagination then what is therefore it, like it must be true otherwise like you wouldn't be having that that yeah it's that almost insight, it's almost you know? hashtag manifest so if you just believe something yeah, yeah, strongly yeah, yeah. enough uh, i think it, i think it does like just broadly tie into that he yeah. At times, I'm just not clear enough exactly what he thinks because he do- he doesn't fully explain his his line of reasoning. He he takes. Yeah, a lot I'm of not things sure that he knows fully what he thinks at times. <laughs> I mean, when when I was saying before that he's picked up a lot of Nietzsche's bad habits, this is definitely one of them. So with much of the time when you read Nietzsche, he just says something. And doesn't really explain it. And if you agree with his first point, or takes it as then, assumed knowledge. Yeah. Uh, and if you already agree with it, then you, by definition, you agree with it when he says it. If you don't, he doesn't really give you anything and it's quite unsatisfying. And Bronze Age Pervert does more or less the same thing. And I think it's it's probably an intentional stylistic choice. Um, given, given, given that he his, likes uh, making those thunderous statements that, that Nietzsche makes. Yeah, I think that, like, part of it just, might be that he wants to, yeah, like, he is emulating Nietzsche and he does want to have this kind of, like, bravado to the way that he writes. Yes. The thing is, <laughs> when he writes, I think he's at his best when he's not aping Nietzsche, when he's using weird English, when he's spelling things weirdly, when he's telling strange stories. Like, that's when he's at man. his best. Yeah. When he's, he's being diet Nietzsche, he's much more boring. Yeah, I agree. So, anyway... On the topic of reason, just the final thing I want to say is how he 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 talks about reason as this way of communicating ideas, but then undermines it further by saying that the underlying biology of each individual is too different to really to really accept these ideas from someone else. He at the start of the book talks about 
I think it's people jizzing in each other's minds. A fairly pungent illustration of, of this this idea that <laughs> you can't you can't really understand other people's ideas. It's this foreign thing that doesn't belong. It brings up Nietzsche again. He says that you know, Nietzsche avoided reading other people's books so that it wouldn't corrupt his own mind with you know, what Bronze Age pervert describes as these foreign thoughts that you can't understand. Nietzsche was a, a professor of philology, I think, in Basel. And I, perhaps I'm wrong. No, uh, you broke up. Anything else you want to add on reason slash science slash Darwinism? We covered a fair bit of territory there. I think, okay, so let's just recap. So you talked about space and the need for an animal to have space, especially like a human, especially a man or a boy. Uh, we spoke about his view of um, biology and Darwinism and science, um, and we touched on his ideas of reason and his idea of the will. Um, do you think that's enough foreground to move on to the kind of core idea around his, I suppose, his political philosophy of um, the gynocracy? Yeah, I reckon next we should definitely discuss modern society and its problems, which will lead us on to women because they, they really seem to be the problem. So what we're going to do is basically check in about whether or not we think, given what we've spoken about so far, uh, is this a troll? Or how likely is this to be a troll? Um, and given what we've read so far, I think the way that we've tried to relay his thoughts, um, and I think given how much, so f- from my perspective, I think given how much effort, I think he's, I, I, th- I think he's clearly put in a lot of effort to his thinking, um, even if at times he is largely mimicking nature. Um that I don't, I don't think he's trolling. Given what we've, I think he's really sincere. At this point in my reading, I was still unsure as to whether this was sincere or a high effort troll. So clearly, this this is high effort. This isn't, you know, just talking shit on Twitter or something like that. Yeah, this guy no, he's put a lot of work into this book. Yeah, but I at this stage was still unsure whether this was a sincere attempt to convey genuine beliefs. Or a high effort troll that you know, probably probably contains some of his beliefs, but isn't totally representative. And if, and if you were thinks. trolling, well, there, there, there was there was one line that probably made things even less clear to me. He has this part where he says that <laughs> he's not being ironic because he doesn't understand irony. And yet, maybe, <laughs> maybe this reflects the fact that I'm a millennial and I'm buried under so many levels of irony that I don't even know my own name anymore. But. I don't know if that's a joke or not. Like, if he's saying that to say, no, I'm totally sincere, or if he's saying it to wink at the reader and say, nothing I say is true, or I'm being completely disingenuous. At at this point, I wasn't sure if... I I was 50-50 on whether this guy is sincere or I think he takes himself really seriously. I think think he takes himself really seriously. That's the thing. Like, when when he says, I don't understand irony, I half think he's being... Maybe he's being a little bit hyperbolic, but I I think he might be being serious. <laughs> mm. it's, it's sort of an listen, I am not a man, I am dynamite nature statement. And and I I would double down that given what the YouTube 
and the like um the carib what's it was his podcast called caribbean caribbean rhythms with bronze yeah yeah Although even that title, like, is like such a like trolley type yeah, title. You see? But then you listen to it, and he he sounds like totally fucking sincere. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, this is why people like us need to exist. And why Pose Law Podcast needs to exist. Like, someone needs to understand anthropologists. <laughs> so these are the big questions. <laughs> um, okay, so. All right, so so far, Levi Levi is pretty convinced. I Levi am pretty convinced that um, that he's he's sincere. I think a bit hyperbolic, inspired by nature, but largely sincere. But Jack, you're uh, you're ambivalent. a bit more ambivalent about the situation. Yeah. All right. So should we move on? Let's let's talk about civilization as it exists at the moment. Men and women. Oh, this we're starting to get how, into the good how, shit. How now. would you characterize? <laughs> how would you characterize Bronze Age perverts' view of how civilization exists at the moment? Accurate. <laughs> <laughs> accurate. An accurate diagnosis <laughs> of the situation that we're in now. <laughs> no, I would... gynocratic gerontocratic hellhole. Sclerotic, <laughs> lactating and sclerotic society we live in. No, I, 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 okay, so no, without taking the piss too much. Okay, we certainly have some issues, and there are certainly uh, aspects of masculinity that are not so crash up right now in the society. You know, like porn, a really good example would be like like rates of porn addiction and stuff, you know. Um, like that's crazy. Um, yeah, the masturbating chimpanzee. The masturbating chimps, right? And these, uh, you know, have you seen the shy lazy boys in China? Uh, is it? Is it? No, the tired. Sorry, the tired lazy boys, man. You got to check this stuff out. Like, there's. I think it's in China or it's in Japan, maybe or South Korea. Um, they they have like a class or a. a they call these young men the the equivalent of roughly tired lazy boys, and they're I'm sure you would have met them in high school. They're the sort of you know sort of fifteen to early twenty year old who is kind of not like kind of lazy nihilistic sort of doesn't really want to do anything, doesn't really want to engage anything, kind of a lot of wants to just play video games, and, um, and you know like that is. That is a part of apparently it's a big enough part of uh, of society to give them a name, tired lazy boys. And I know exactly what people mean when they, <laughs> when they say tired lazy boys. Um, but in his view, it seems to be much deeper than oh, we've got a bit of porn addiction and we've got like some guys that are not like taking control of their lives and stuff. Yeah, well, it, it seems in his mind to be a result of a concerted effort, both a reversion to the historical mean of you know, tired, decadent, uh, yeast-like, he, he often describes it as, yeah, societies. He yeah. often brings up matriarchy as a, as a common state of civilization. So, so it, it's both a reversion to historical mean but also engineered by a group of people. He calls them spooks. But, you know, we, we don't actually know who they are. But they're, they're not, you know, sort of the World Economic Forum crowd. 
the the obvious face of it, politicians, financiers, captains yeah. of industry. There is a there's a group of people behind those people, and they're the ones who are really just really driving this this dynocratic yeast-like hellscape that we currently live in. Yeah, the shadow, the shadow, like you know, ma- the master of shadows, master of slaves. You know, even behind the political kind of the political veneer, there's like some deeper level. Um, which, and it, you know, the you know that is conspiratorial thinking, but he never actually brings up like an explicit, like for example, oh, you know, it's skull and crossbones, or it's like, or it's this, you know, the Illuminati. I don't even think he says the like any of those words at all. Like he doesn't, he just kind of alludes that there's like some sort of force behind even like, you know, what's happening at a political level. Yeah. Well, he, he describes politics at the moment as really a diversion. So he, this is something I agree with. He, he brings up this idea of a marionette show and dividing everything into two camps. So for he, he, he says, you know, an average person is presented with this marionette show, two different characters. I'm assuming he's speaking mostly from an American perspective, or at least in the context yeah, I think of it's, I think it's conservatives American, and liberals, yeah. saying that you're only allowed to agree with one or the other and that there isn't a spectrum of belief between those two groups. You're, it's really binary. Yeah. It's either you are conservative or you're liberal. And, yeah, I, I really agree with that. I think on the whole we are we're told that we're only allowed two options and quite, quite a lot of the time we take the bait and that does limit thought. So I, I think that was actually some, that was a place where he hit the nail on the head. When he gets away from Nietzsche, I really enjoy how he writes. I mean, he, he was talking about fat, balding conservatives, fist mm. fighting with women with mullets and strong forearms who drive pickup trucks as yeah. you know, effectively the state of the mammies. Yeah, <laughs> in in America, and and oh, it, it was something like the the effeminate, long faced trans new male of the left, or something like that. Yeah, so he he views politics, or at least the the visible aspect of politics, as a side used to distract us. We've got this political theatre that is used to disguise what he talks about as the Leviathan, which is. It's not that well-defined, but I, I gather it's, it's a description of these more hidden forces which are oppressing young men and oppressing the vigour of youth, promoting, you know, an old, an old sclerotic leadership and domination yeah. by women and, you know, the prevention of real science in favour of, of scientism and fake science and trying to hold back our our return to a, a time more like the Bronze Age when we had you know, real men, we had real heroes and things like that. So I, w- I wonder if he's read Chomsky. I think he probably would agree with manufacturing concern, I reckon. And I'm surprised. Probably. The thing is, I think I think if he had read Chom- if he had read manufacturing consent, he probably would have referenced it directly. So it's yeah, you're you're right. There are definitely at least echoes of manufacturing consent if he hasn't read it specifically so, then he um he'd probably like it he should probably go read it give him some more fodder yeah so, yeah so, he, um, so he 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 doesn't so society the world as it is right now doesn't like 
youthfulness, um, at least not male youthfulness. It doesn't like the potential strength of men, of young men, especially young men with strong friendships, so which we can talk about more later. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of, it's almost like a, a hostility towards, you know, for example, like the conversation around, uh, you know, like toxic masculinity. You know, I think this book was written in 2018, right? Am I? think so yeah Um, 2018 so he definitely has heard that that conversation taken yeah so he's probably you know like in a weird way like this is somewhat of like a i can imagine that this would be somewhat of a reaction to uh broader societal conversations around like quote-unquote toxic masculinity um and it's almost like the sort of uh extreme the most extreme uh, counter narrative to the toxic masculinity narrative. Which in, a, in, a, in a way, like I can see why a lot of men, uh, a lot of young men would be alienated by these, uh, you know, in particular hyper left conversations around toxic masculinity and constant demonization of. Uh, of men, you know, not not having a space for like, well, what's a positive male role model, um, or whatever. Um, but then that kind of infers a deep, deep level of, uh, I suppose, intentionality about what's happening. That there's uh, an in- that that's uh, that's intentional. That there's a force or a group of people that are actively eroding and actively want to suppress young male vigor um, in order to like control the population. Basically. Am I, am I accurately representing? Yeah, I think, and we, we should discuss, you know, what we've, we've discussed the, the mask of modernity, you know, our, our sham political system or the political theatre. We should discuss what's going on in the background, but what is driving it? It, it does seem to be multifactorial. Yeah. I think he definitely does believe there is some organised force behind it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the spooks, you know, who, whose names we don't know, we don't know if they represent anyone themselves. All we do know is that they want to continue just accruing a power that we don't have. They want to continue owning a space yeah, in yeah. a sense, which which does bring up the question, you know, why does he regard that as bad? I mean, these are people who clearly are dominating space and are very powerful. Yes. Um, he, he seems to regard <laughs> that as, as negative. I'm not, not entirely clear why. Well, I'm someone is one. exactly the sort of thing he's into. But yeah, 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 yeah. But presumably anyway. they're gynocratic, so. Yeah, but, but I, I, I'm not sure if they're gynocratic or not because this is <laughs> part of Leviathan's confluence of interest. So you've, you've got the spooks, right? Yeah, and yeah. Then, you've, then you've got a society you know, based on agriculture. So agriculture leads to an increase in population. An increase in population leads to more human detritus. It leads to more bad or you're less high-quality yes. people who want to be dominated and they want to submit. At the same time, you've got, and now I'm, I'm unclear because he talks about, and we'll get into women, you've got the massive people who are overpopulating because, because of agriculture and civilization, and they are now protected and they're not as easily 
preyed upon. And they they like the state of affairs or somewhat like the state of affairs at the moment because it's safer for them, it's more comfortable, and they're protected from you know, superior specimens, from great, great men. Yes. Then another pillar whose interests are also driving that is that of women. So he, he talks about how women instinctively find men who are ascending and pull them back. In, in yes. the section on masturbating chimpanzees, he was he he mentioned that when when a woman a woman can sense when a man is leaving this onanistic existence and she pulls him back yes. to mas- masturbating in this abstract cage or this figurative cage. So women are another pillar who are driving the oppression of young aesthetic um, men. We'll get into why I'm not you know why I don't think that's totally consistent with other things he says because he also talks about how women like to submit yeah we will discuss that further do you do you have any other groups apart from the spooks women and you know the 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 massive lower quality humans who are driving the leviathan uh homosexual men and i think he doesn't really go into too much detail but presumably it's also related to transgenderism um but he has this narrative, this interesting narrative. Also, one of the consequences of uh, the gynocracy is <laughs> I can't believe this right now. <laughs> it's totally ridiculous. <laughs> one of the consequences of the gynocracy, and one of the consequences of uh, <laughs> boy, <laughs> of boys growing up in in our owned space, space that is owned and controlled and dominated by others, is that. Is that it leads to, and uh, we sort of I mentioned this earlier, but it leads it leads to a corruption of male sexuality and development, um, and in its extreme. So the logic, the, the narrative goes roughly, and it's a kind of it's kind of a Freudian. He's kind of he's obviously inspired by the sort of psychoanalyst because he goes full armchair psychologist and uh, talks about how basically like young men know subconsciously that they are growing up in owned space. And so they, I suppose, uh, instead of, instead of overcoming that obstacle mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, developing into their sort of uh, greatest selves, um, they, their, their sexuality becomes perverted, not perverted, but like uh, corrupted, I suppose. Um, and that leads them to somehow becoming gay. Um, it's not in t- like, obviously it was totally incoherent nar- narrative. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it, do- it like doesn't make any sense at all, but roughly speaking, young boy grows up in own space, knows that he can't really control and dominate space around him. And then a beast, like something, something, something becomes gay. <laughs> yeah. And so from my, that from is my a reading of, what of the gynocracy. I reckon this will dovetail nicely into talking about men because we're going to need to talk about men and women in order to yes. understand why yeah. our society is the, the pile of yeast that it is. <laughs> so in in my reading of why of why the the gynocracy turns men gay is that 
So when, when you have a particularly sensitive ear, so it, it, it's a, a true trait. Oh, yes, that's right. So they're, they're you've got, yeah, you've yeah, got yeah. sensitive youths. You've got the sort of boys who could grow up to become great men. These are the people who should grow up to truly oppose gynocracy. But you, you, you've got these sensitive boys who who feel or who intuit because they are so sensitive that they live in own space and they can't they can't express their masculinity they they're living under a weight of of struggle there's struggle with a society that doesn't want them to self actualize and then at the same time they see their contemporaries they see other boys expressing what uh, Professor Pervert regards as a coarse masculinity and they're repulsed by that because on some level they understand what true masculinity is despite not being able to fully express it. So they turn Oh, yeah, he's not, yeah, the, the sort of horseplay, uh, yeah. like obnoxious sort of masculinity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so they, they turn away from other men, get closer to their mothers, and then, you know, when they hit puberty, develop a sex drive, they start eroticising this thing that repulses them, which is other men, they become gay and then because of the LGBT movement, they become the foot soldiers of the Leviathan. Yeah. So he talks about how these people should be the people who are most able to fight against it. You know, they have the greatest interest in, in overturning this regime, except instead they become its, its lieutenants. And some of the some of the most capable and vicious lieutenants, although not as capable as lesbians, no, he um, <laughs> or the new male. Yeah, well, he doesn't think much of new males. He thinks that they're 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 easily bought off with a girlfriend and easily controlled. <laughs> he does seem quite nervous about lesbians, though. He he talks about you know lesbian commissars will be. Running extermination yep. camps and yeah, things yeah, like yeah. that. You know, the most, the most vicious <laughs> yeah, yeah. forces of the regime. Inter, interracial lesbian commissars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't let's, let's next. lesbians. Yeah, he, he doesn't offer a theory as to how lesbians come about. So I'm waiting for Bronze Age mindset good to, to he doesn't, set he the record straight he on He doesn't that. explain um, lesbianism, actually. Yeah, interesting. Anyway, it's gone. Yeah. Yeah, we, we've been discussing how gay men come about. That probably ties nicely into discussing men fundamentally, you know, and, and, and why our society wants to suppress particularly young aesthetic men. Yes. Men who would, men who would become ziz. Yes. Who <laughs> otherwise would have become ziz. Because really, like, who otherwise look at would have ziz. Been ziz. Just, you know, ziz is a great example because he, you know, look at when he was growing up, you know, he's like twig, right? You know? Yeah, and then you know, by the time he was like twenty four or whatever, did he even make twenty four? I don't know. I think like he was twenty two or something when he died. But okay. I, I, so by the time he was twenty, out. his his you know six two shredded and jacked, right? and yeah. and signing all sorts of body parts, you know, and jacuzzis in Thailand. Like the guy was a specimen, if there ever was one. The king of aesthetics, um, you know. So Ziz I mean, arguably I, was quite a sensitive young man, youth. Uh, and you know, in a different world, is you know, became uh, a homosexual. Um, but we live in the part of the quantum multiverse in which mm. Ziz, uh, uh, you know, attained his true greatness, 
Whereas, yeah, he didn't become PM of Australia though, so we uh, it is still an imperfect world. He didn't he didn't have time to flourish and become a true pirate king? No, I should uh, I should add I'm not being disingenuous here. I unironically really like Ziz. <laughs> <laughs> He's very charismatic, <laughs> but uh, he, he, he is a good example of you know a self a story of self overcoming, you know as as well as you can given the parlous circumstances for young aesthetic men. Because according to Chestbra, his brother, you know, Ziz, Ziz was always insecure growing up. You know, he was weedy as anything in high school. But he he overcame that, became jacked, had the body of Ziz, and inspired a generation of, of young bodybuilders. It's quite incredible, really. It's a, a, true, it's a true inspiration. It's a true inspiration. If only I lived in Sydney and I could have witnessed it firsthand. So, men in society, what do so what what do men want to do if they're not obstructed by living in owned space, by living in overpopulated cities, which are, you know, in in Bronze Age perverts' description, sort of the Oriental type of civilization, you know, overpopulated. Mm. He calls it yeast or blob mode. What what do men do when they're not living in this sort Conquer. of civilization? Conquer. Really. Um, and I think in particular uh, able to define, I think, again, this goes back to probably is inspired by nature and, you know, pro- pro- probably I assume beyond good and evil, um, they're able to, I suppose, live life on their terms, like define their own rules. And, you know, a really key example of this being like, he has a section where he talks about like Blackbeard. It doesn't matter if he was a murderer. Like the fact is like, you're just talking about him today and look at how much he achieved. And it's uh, those sorts of the pirate Kings or like the, the, the Greek uh, heroes of old um, or the, the Cortez, <laughs> again, another person like Cortez, they're adventurers. They'd go out on grand adventures and they would conquer and they'd, um, you know, dominate space. And mm. and this is all motivated by by an excess of being. I mean, they're not looking for... Yeah, they're for, not really doing it for material gain yeah. per se. Or like, like they're the not trying to get or anything off, like that. Yeah. They're doing it for, yeah, well, I think this goes back to the will, like the will to the will to life. It's this mm. uh, ascension. It's almost like an ascension or a transcendence. Um, yeah, well, yes. it's it's what we mentioned with the will, how it's, it's always striving, you know, reaching and forming more and more perfect forms. He talks about it, you know, reaching for greater differentiation and complexity. Yes. Yeah, I mean, we... <laughs> In, in terms of you know, men acting, your brain, your brain just went to overdrive just then for a second. What? What <laughs> happened? Like the look on your face is just like you're like, okay, <laughs> All right, we gotta we gotta like synthesize this this this, this person's perspective. <laughs> I'm working really hard. <laughs> We're on overdrive Look, right now. <laughs> without, I'm, without I'm, I'm trying like to make talk this, some shit. <laughs> I'm trying to make this as coherent as possible, but he doesn't make it easy for you. We should say as a caveat, so, like that, like the the guy that like we're we're synthesizing. We're trying to make coherent this person's point of view, who seems to actively go out of his way to make it as difficult 
to comprehend what he, and not 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 out of not out of you know some grand intellect <laughs> intellect or something. It was just in, it was just incoherent. <laughs> <laughs> so we're doing our best. <laughs> Even in under the most propitious circumstances, most men aren't great men. Yeah, I mean, you know, so you look at Periclean Athens. Most most people there weren't great men, but there weren't as many of them because they weren't being supported by the Leviathan and by technology as exists today, and their culture was more permissive of great men who kept the numbers of non-great men lower. Yes. So, so he, he liked the Spartans. I think a good a good way to talk about his view of what great men are or what true masculinity is is by using a few examples of great men that he, yeah, he puts forward. I'm going to do one. Yeah. Yeah, Periander of Corinth. Is that yeah, Periander. Why why is Periander? Now, if I remember correctly, Periander of masculinity was uh the king of uh yeah uh Corinth, was it? And he yeah. in his uh kingdom or on his island in uh, in the Mediterranean or whatever, um uh <laughs> castrated, turned into eunuchs. Um No, it was it was a nearby island. He had all of the men castrated. Yeah. <laughs> Because he's, <laughs> yeah, he, he's acting from an overflowing of being. Yes, from overflowing of being. So he had them all castrated. <laughs> and he, he, he's not looking for praise for this. This is all just self-actualization. And and there were claims of him being mad, which he, <laughs> he probably was, um, but that's beside the point. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter if he was a madman, a mad king. He uh, he self actualized. He uh, there were no rules constraining his 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 um his wanton domination of space around him, including of in this case the the testicles of other men. Mm-hmm. He so so he he gave in to his vices, or didn't give in to them, but just lived them. Which yeah. is something that Bronze Age pervert. When so in the section when he was discussing Periander of Corinth, giving into his vices, he seemed to be saying he he was praising him. He was talking about how it was good that he raped his mother, had sex with his wife's corpse, castrated a bunch of men, but at the same time was a patron of the arts, built up civil society in the middle class of Corinth, but not from a sense of of duty or a sense of needing to protect those weaker than him it was filling his will living in accordance with it another example he gives of um of someone who <clears throat> is is a great man was i think it was pietro di alvaro one of cortez's yeah. lieutenants his right hand man yeah yeah who in in latin america was the, the the thing about him that Bronze Age pervert seems to admire was his how his purpose was. So he he was given some parcel of land. I'm not sure you know, where in Latin America it you know, was or in now Latin America. He had no interest in governing it. He just went further on and kept killing people and dominating. And then you know, whenever he conquered a new tract of land, he didn't bother governing that. He just kept going. 
So that that is him following his innate desires. Yeah, uh, and that that's you know, that that is the essence of masculinity. That yes, following your desire. I think that sums it up. Not for material gain, just because you want it. Anyway, so that's those are a couple of examples of uh, true like higher men. You know, mm-hmm. um, the problem we- is though he does masculinity or describe masculine which conflicts with with this view of great men just expressing themselves without without caring about what other people think or without looking for the praise of others without caring for conventional morality of others and things like that so in one instance he brings up Heraclitus as saying that you know what what great men should aim for is the everlasting praise of morals but to me, really anything else except looking for praise. I mean, to be worshipped or to be praised by mortals forever. I mean, that very much is looking for for gratification in others. I mean, I'm not sure how you can describe it in any other way. <laughs> that, that, that struck me as inc- inconsistent, and I don't think he's making a subtle point of this. I think he is just saying two contradictory things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He also he also talks about how real warriors are taken advantage of in our society because they have such a deep sense of responsibility and duty. Except he he seemed to be saying that in the context of them having a responsibility or a sense of responsibility and duty to others, because if they purely had a sense of duty to themselves and only to themselves, then you know the the teaching of the gynocracy telling them that they need to care for others wouldn't affect them. Yes. <laughs> so, so his, his, his views on what constitutes, you know, essential or unbridled masculinity largely consistent, but not wholly. No. What about his, his views on, on women? Yeah. Let's, let's discuss women. They're a a big problem in in Bronze Age perverts' view. Levi, what do you think of women? Well, yeah, with them. (laughs) 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 I better be careful what Mm. I say here. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want the Gestapo coming around. (laughs) (laughs) The 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 mulleted women with strong forearms and pickup trucks are going to come to your house. (laughs) I, um, I think it's almost obvious what it, the audience could probably guess what this guy thinks. <laughs> yeah, I found this, this was one be. of the more the, the topic of women was one of the more boring sections for me because he he doesn't bring anything new to the table. It's yeah, it's it's the, the like sort of men. view of women they, you they, they want to be submissive. Yeah, yeah, they want to be maybe dominated, but they they definitely want to have. Oh, he had some logic. That's right. He had a comment about democracy and about how women don't find uh, these politician men and uh, male leaders today, they find them so unattractive that they are. I think it was that it comes back to the idea of the will. So women fundamentally look beyond themselves and are definitely attuned to the will, which yes. is why, in Bronze Age perverts' view, they're more telepathic than men. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's one manifestation of of their attunement to the will. But they look beyond themselves because they they make the next generation. And 
as they're more they're more they're, uh, body they're body intelligent. They have greater body intelligence. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Struck <laughs> 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 <Just> it. <laughs> yeah, so they're more like it's that kind of idea, you know, like typical sort of like idea of like, oh yeah, like women are more in touch with their bodies and stuff. Um, but he calls it he calls it body intelligence, <laughs> body body intellect. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that our society by demanding that they, you know, do 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 silly things like engage in the democratic process. Um <laughs> they they are they are being they are being made to be more like uh head intellect to, to mm-hmm. rely more on their, their head intellect and that uh, makes them neurotic. On one hand, they do try to drag down great men. I mean, they, they intuit when someone is ascending and try to hold them back. At the same, at the same time, they're attracted to these people who, who do ascend. And part of the reason why our society is growing more matriarchal is because Women are fundamentally dissatisfied with how things are. You know, men have been feminised. Bronze Age Perfect yes. says that you know, women women don't find shopkeepers and bankers attractive. You know, they find warriors attractive, but our society really discourages those. So there's this immense sexual frustration and almost a frustration of the will because women are you know, fundamentally want to look beyond themselves to the next generation, but are both being told not to by society. And then given given a group of men, sort of the nerds, the new males, the soy boys, the beaters, you know, things things that they they don't want to use to create the next generation. So there's there's yes. an immense frustration. Yeah, so I yeah, I would agree that he that this is probably the most the you know the the least uh innovative part of his <laughs> should we say is that a good word? the least innovative part of his his uh his worldview is is his idea you know you probably could have you 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 could read similar things um you know on like r slash red pill or whatever really so yeah pretty pretty stock standard view of women <laughs> I would say, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was I was quite bored by the sections on women because they there, there are some parts that are a bit different. You know, tying it back to the will. Um, but you know, on, on the whole, I, I guess, suppose. But he didn't unpack the telepathy pretty, very much. Yeah, the telepathy. Yeah, but the telepathy thing was sort of a few lines about how you know women are in some way more in touch with the will, so they they can connect with the wills of not only other people but other objects. Yeah. That was an interesting bit. But on the whole, the sections on women were pretty dull because I've I've heard it before. You've heard it or so, you've, you've thought you've thought it before, Jack. <laughs> I've thought it before. Yeah. That, that's true. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, we didn't really we haven't spoken about his views on religion, have we? Let's get to religion. Let's <laughs> let's talk about religion. He um I mean basically I think fundamentally the problem with women in our society is that they're frustrated because they're being made into not real men, but you know, the the fallen men that as exist today. And that frustration is given an outlet in democracy. 
so they can be stirred up by someone and elect bad leaders. Yeah. So religion. Animism is the natural religion and he doesn't say why, but it is. Yeah, he just references that he has, he remembers as a child, like having a connection to certain animals, certain, you know, in particular, like he can still feel the spirit of a particular dog following him. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't believe in creationism. Um, he doesn't even necessarily believe in like any particular religion, clearly. Um, yes. But and but he does believe in reincarnation. So I think this is a really interesting part, um, which was that he he refutes kind of the classic um, reincarnation, you know, such as you, you might see in Hinduism or, or certain forms of Buddhism, around like uh, you know uh, a soul or an essence, kind of. Um, transcending the physical body, their sort of vessel, um, you know, from life to life. And he, he sort of reduces or re- redefines um, or perhaps in his view expands uh, his view of reincarnation to be more around like, yeah, this idea of the will um, and the will being, uh, how would you describe it? Like this, so it's like he says it's in your blood and it's not to do with your DNA, but somehow it's like the drives the, you know, like your instincts and your, your, um, your preferences kind of are reinstantiated, um, you know, at different points in time, you know, in different bodies. So you have existed before, um, even if you can't remember it, but it's not in the sense of like a soul. It's more like the the instant instantiation of these drives. Yeah, from from the will. Yeah, these particular drives. As an aside, I'm not sure how that's meaningfully different from an aspect of you know from from your personality in general. I mean, I would have con- I would have considered your drives to be an aspect of the personality, but he he makes that distinction without really describing why one interesting outcome of his belief in in reincarnation is that he brings up the question you know if the human population is said to be so much greater now where did all the souls come from yes and this is a really good part this was one of my favorite parts (laughs) yeah this was a part I, i really liked this part this was this was good stuff where he says oh well was it because maybe souls have been split. So, you know, one person in the past can now donate a to three vessels. Or can we get souls from non-human animals? Ultimately, he comes to the conclusion that a lot of archaeology is probably fake. A lot of history is fake, which, I don't know, I wonder how much of history actually happened. That <laughs> wouldn't go as far as he does, but yeah, that's an interesting thought. Um, and that the human population on Earth used to be billions. So there, there have been a succession of great civilizations who have risen and fallen sort of in a similar way to ours falling at the moment through increasing comfort and decadence. Yes, and, and then we, we are... We are those reincarnated. And then, and then we... we 
there might have been, there might be remnants of those great civilizations still in existence. So some of them, you know, he holds open the possibility that at least one of those civilizations found a way to escape this cycle of increasing decadence and collapse and live, you know, say at the centre of the earth or something like that and observe us from a distance. He also says that some some members of those fallen civilizations might still be alive and live, you know, in caves and explain, you know, folk tales of of gnomes or elves or vampires because they're these deformed, you know, frightening creatures, these debased remnants of old decadent civilizations. Yeah. I and obviously like the the obvious refutation or at least question that comes up is well where did the original souls come from like he gets like this obviously leads to an infinite regress of reincarnation cycles and it's just not he just doesn't address it it's just like it it seems as though it just didn't occur to him (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's that's a common theme unless you're saying that it extends back an infinite amount of time in in which case where like where did anything start or Mm. Like, if it didn't extend back an infinite amount of time, then how come we can't just, like, the current people can't be the first instantiation of their souls? So, yeah, again, yeah. just, I mean, I it's never, it's just never, he just never even sort of, he just sort of says that, oh, yeah, there probably were billions of billions of people before. And uh, and he just kind of says it, <laughs> just just leaves it at that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I suppose he, he talks about, you know, the souls are an expression of the will and the will... Yeah. Might might be eternal, so it could be that it has just always. Yeah, I could see. I could see at an angle like that. But you know, maybe that's reading too much into Bronze Age pervert theology. You know, these philosophical discussions. uh, I might be reading into the text too much. Well, because he because he does say that like you you have existed before, however, not in the way that you that your like head intellect perceives mm -hmm. itself, like the kind of sort of. Sub- first person subjective um experience of oneself is like not the true self potentially mm-hmm. is um, i don't know if i like i i'm struggling to think am i accurate am i accurately representing this person's point of view i think that's what he's saying and whereas like the <laughs> thing that is the will that is being reincarnated like that's the true you i think he also says that that true self is completely homosexual and then just just leaves that hanging. I don't quite know what to make of that. Yes. Yes. So <laughs> <laughs> I guess the other the last thing I unless you have anything else to say about reincarnation. I don't really know what else to say about the reincarnation thing. But I've got one other thing. No, there's not too much about. more. I mean there are, there are some other aspects of religion that are worth covering, but I think we've we've probably oh, yeah. gone over reincarnation i mean what what else about religion well how so he he's got a problem with monotheism and atheism so he reckons that monotheism represents tiredness and domination from overpopulation so say you know we get tired we get overpopulated and the detritus of humanity demand a religion to reflect that which is how we get monotheism and he says that we're getting a new religion now in science. You know, you've got this priestly caste of scientists 
telling everyone else you know, how the world works and that you know, that's becoming the new religion. And I do think to an extent, like, he he's hitting on something here that isn't totally absurd. I mean, to a lot of people, or at least people who've attended university, science is, I think, more of a religious system of belief than what I regard science as, which is really just a an intellectual tool used to generate descriptive models that are sort of asymptotically close to reality. You know, you, you have people saying, I believe the science is a political statement, where they're talking about, you know, a, a corpus of knowledge told to them by political actors rather than talking about the scientific method. So I think when he talks about how science is becoming you know, the new religion through atheism, he's not being totally absurd, you know, like in some of his other other statements. Yeah, and that he, he clearly doesn't like Sam Harris and Sam Harris's contemporaries the, in that, yeah, in that the, the the new, new atheists. atheists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because yeah, he, he talks about how his problem with the new atheists is that their atheism is the same as monotheism. So he says that both monotheism and atheism demand creation from nothing, which, I mean, I would have levelled the same accusation against him and his idea of the will, but, you know, the, both those things require generation from nothing by a creator that lies outside of space and time. And matter is divine insofar as it can be used to uncover the characteristics of this creator. I'm not really sure what he means by that. (laughs) I I found that a bit obscure, or obscure even within the context of the Bronze Age mindset. I don't have much more to add about religion apart from what we've already discussed. It's, in in his view, Christianity or Islam or other monotheistic religions are just further tools by the spooks controlling the Leviathan to control the population and prevent great men rising. So there was a... I don't have much to add on the religion stuff. It's, it's, uh, yeah, pretty much summed up by atheism and the the and science being like kind of new religions he doesn't buy into christianity and stuff he redefines his own ideas of like reincarnation the the thing that i would like to talk about is his view on cities yeah yeah this is important (laughs) (laughs) this is really important (laughs) this is obviously okay so remember the guy likes space and he likes being able to dominate space. And he doesn't really like the decadence of modern society or like the yeast people. And and so in particular, what would be like people who just kind of live for for mere, what he would say, like mere life, you know, just trying to survive or whatever. So if you imagine a city like Manila <laughs> yeah, or, yeah, he or, doesn't... Or, or Mumbai, or, or Beijing, these are giant cities where there's people living on top of each other in tiny cramped high-density living, um, not dominating the space around them in very dirty or sometimes often very dirty, dirty environments. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say he really, really, really does not like these places, all no, the people that inhabit no, them. I think that's a... That's a pretty safe statement to make. <laughs> he talks about the two, 
know, two broad modes of civilization. One he calls the default mode, which which is you know the the cities you see in you know he talks about the cities in China or in the Philippines or in India of teeming humanity overpopulated and people who don't need space and comparing that to so he particularly likes the cities of so say the the, the city states in Italy like he ancient likes Greece Swiss like Athens cities yeah ancient Greece the German so, German cities because they the cities are- they have some space in them and they mostly they exist to allow the elite sort of to cultivate their their powers for war to give them some leisure time in preparation for war. Some and what space, you might say is like walled, walled gardens, the walled yeah, gardens, and, and an ability, an ability to live with you know with less gravity of need. And he says yes. yeah, the downside of this is also where he's a bit inconsistent. He he seems to imply that the downside is that you immiserate ninety nine percent of the population which I would regard as a downside. But given the rest of what he talks about, you you question why he would think it's a downside that, you know, a, a few nobles or a few rulers are able to have more leisure time and more time to cultivate their abilities while oppressing a large number of people or why that's a problem. It's not entirely clear. Like, so he talks about the Spartans, for example, how they used to use their cities as like a place for rest and recuperation, but in order, f- mm-hmm. you know, like they use that rest and recuperation in the city um, in order to, <laughs> in order to prepare for war, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. He doesn't clearly link it to modern modern cities. Like what modern city like acts like that? Well, I don't think any modern city acts like that, which is his his, his problem. Yes. <laughs> yeah. True. Okay. Yeah. That we don't we don't have modern cities that yes 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 that yes. really exist that exist to allow leisure time for youths to prepare for war. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So modern modern cities exist for you know beta males and women you know, to make to be to be safe for those groups rather than to be places for aesthetic youths to develop themselves. So I think that's like a nice combination of like many of his core principles around space and his distaste for modernity. Mm-hmm. Um, would should we move on to how we got here? Yeah. Having one once you'd read about his his description of the world at the moment, you know, controlled by spooks and the Leviathan, women having the vote gay people being the commissars of the new regime. How much of a troll did you oh, think you put was? it like that? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, you say that. By this stage, I was coming, I was more coming down on the side of this guy's serious. Yeah, you see, the thing is, it you know, like the the whole point of Poe's law, right? The original, the original blog post is like if he had put a winky face on it, we would have been able to tell that he was joking. But he didn't put a fucking winky face anywhere in there. You know? Yeah. And he doesn't see, like, I've not seen in any of his publications, <laughs> in any of his, anywhere, any winky faces. And mm-hmm. it's very difficult, I think, you know, given his first principles and his analysis of the world the way it is, the, the gynocracy and, and, you know, the decadence of civilization. I am leaning more towards sincere that this yeah. is not a troll. 
I, I, I was by this point definitely leaning towards sincerity. He he also so, backs up like a lot of these points of views with like kind of tangential but loosely related firsthand accounts of his life experiences that I think I think they seem genuine. Like I I can see like you know stumbling through like some city block drunk and getting into a fight with a bouncer or something and like seeing yeah. wars and stuff like it seems as though he's had these real life experiences and he's trying to contextualize these these experiences within this worldview informed by people like nature yeah there were some of these experiences though that he described that I, I, i'm not sure if he actually experienced them or they're allegorical. Do, do you remember that, that anecdote he, he told when he was talking about how he, he experienced the real world once where he, he was in a porn theatre and then an old man beside him started feeling him up. So he, he punched this guy and then I think the bouncer tried to kick him out, but then the bouncer became a goblin and a vampire bat flew into the porn theatre. So he left went outside, saw a black woman taking a shit in the middle of the road and then looked in a car and the driver didn't have a head. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure whether to take that allegorically or whether he really did. He, he feels like he experienced that and that that is genuinely the real world. Okay, so there's, there's a couple of things on the topic of whether or not that's sincere. Okay, so there's, there's the American psycho perspective on that, which is that, you know, this, that's a piece of literature and he's sort of like describing something like at the end of American Psycho where it sort of becomes yeah. clear that the protagonist is having this sort of like um, descent into insanity or it could be allegorical, like, okay, this is like, he's speaking like metaphorically the person turned into a balloon mm. or, you know, another interpretation could be like, no, he's being sincere. And when he's writing this, like, this is why I said that maybe the guy's got some sort of schizoaffective disorder mm. or psychiatric disorder, or maybe he was on a psychedelic at the time and he just hasn't explicitly said that he takes psychedelics. <laughs> But I, I yeah, don't, I mean, I don't think that he's being literary when he, he re, like, I, I don't, I think it's unlikely that he's taking the American psycho perspective. Mm. Personally, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's probably more likely, for example, that maybe he's talking about having a trip. The thing is, though, if, if, he, if he were taking psychedelic drugs, you expect he'd, or at least I feel like he'd probably mention it because he has no problem talking about, you know, how he gets really drunk and wander, wanders around during the day staring at people. Or he takes some sort of amino acid and you know, oh, yeah, walks he around he having he gets taken that and thinks he gets him high. Yeah, yeah so the I'm not entirely aminos. sure. But I, so my, my original point is just like when it comes to the troll and not a troll question, like yeah, I, I think he has enough of these like personal experiences where you, you get some glimpse into that this guy's life is or has been at times really quite chaotic and potentially like that he that this is his magnum opus is also like him trying to make sense of like the the chaos of the world and um and and potentially his own life and that's why that's why i think i you know how in depth it is and then how in depth the the worldview is tied to those uh, conversations about his personal experiences makes me lean on sincere more. By this point, definitely felt that he was more likely being sincere than a, a very high effort troll. So our next section then, so we're both 
leaning a little bit more towards sincere is um how mm. how we got here his historical analysis <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> so I mean, there, 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 there were a few ways that we got to this point how about we start with the, the corruption of men and i reckon one of the most important ways that men became corrupted was through the undermining of male friendships. He, he regards male friendships or true this is friendship. This part. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, as, as he like finds crucial. it as vitally important. So, so can you give us an example? He says real male friendship in, say, the Bronze Age would be you, you are slighted. You know, someone insults you or humiliates you. So you gather up 50 friends and raid that person's house or wherever they live. And he, he yeah, asks... Like blood feud you know, sort of stuff. Who, who would do that for you today? And that's a... I'd raid someone's house for you, Levi. Yeah. Well, but, I'd expect you know, nothing less. Would would, would you really? be able to find 50, 50 people like me? Maybe Ed. Could you know, be willing, <laughs> be willing to decapitate <laughs> someone with a claymore if they insulted you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Point taken. I reckon. I reckon ninety nine percent of the men that I know are a bunch of baiters who wouldn't who wouldn't cleave <laughs> off my enemy's head for me. Um, but no, you would for me, Jack. Because <laughs> I'm a sigma male. <laughs> he uses like a number of examples, and the examples that he pulls on tend to be from ancient Greece. Essentially, these these Greek heroes that tend to come in du- duos, male duos. Mm-hmm. Like, like Achilles uh, and Patroclus, he uses as an example. Yeah, right. Are they the blokes who uh, uh, raided uh, Troy? Was it? Was that the Peloponnesian War? Yeah, they, they were involved in the Trojan War. Patroclus was killed, so Achilles lost his shit, killed a bunch of people, dragged Hector's corpse behind his chariot, doing doughies outside the walls of Troy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, right. And it was eventually <laughs> fucking skull, skull dragged Hector. <laughs> so like, <laughs> so like, the, 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 but but the, the, the key thing is that this, these were ripping these... donuts in a, a Honda Civic in the Westfield parking lot. <laughs> Out at knife point. <laughs> <laughs> Shadow. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, but the point, but I think a key point is that these were not not platonic, but they also weren't like sexualized. They weren't sexual friendships, and they they were that they were more like brothers, I suppose, like brothers in arms, yeah. um, essentially brotherhood, um, and that you can't really find. And so, so part of from a historical point of view, okay, it used to be that strong men could exist and that strong male friendships could exist, um, but how did we lose lose that? How did we get here well, to this point where men are isolated and and uh, feminized? True male friendships allow both men involved to really uh, de- develop their develop what is in the blood in his in his words. You know, develop that will that um, that reincarnates those abilities. So there, there are a few ways. So male only spaces have been undermined. So he talks about how fraternities are banned how the scouts are forced to accept women now. But yeah. an important part is also, as you as you up, the sexualization of close male relationships. So yes. men now don't, they, they recoil from these sort of relationships because they think that those relationships are gay. If you get too close to a man, 
feel gay. As the sort of male who would who would otherwise become a great man, you you love having sex with women and not other men. So that that that's not going to work. You know what the interesting thing is though. He never he never like he never deals with the issue of how in Greek society men would have sexual relationships with boys. But you know, I guess look. Maybe maybe that's an aspect of history that's been fabricated by matriarchy. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, 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 no. That's, that's that's a good point. I could see the gynocracy that's uh, fabricating that sort of lie in order to discredit ancient Greek society potentially. It's what they it's what they want you to believe, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> so so what other parts of <laughs> how how we got here? So we've covered friend the male, strong male friendships. Another way that men are kept from realising their true potential is that there's constant titillation and sort of empty vice given to us. So the the image of the masturbating chimp rears its head once again. This is it's, it's, this is really important. We should just have like a gif of a masturbating a gif of a masturbating chimp. <laughs> we should we should get that we should get that that picture of that jacked up chimp. You know the, the <laughs> super jacked. Just put that as the clip. Beating his pork sword like a maniac. Yeah. <laughs> so that we're we're bombarded constantly by empty stimulation empty vice like pornography uh intensely sexualized media like if, if you've seen a rap video clip in the past 10 years you know exactly what i oh, mean it's pretty much a porno it's <laughs> it's as close to porn as you can get without yeah, yeah. You know, not being allowed on tv yeah so i think that's another way that men are kept from becoming more perfect another way is that exercise is more and more discouraged so he seems to think that an anesthetic physique is certainly not not sufficient, but it is necessary to self-overcoming and becoming a great man. Yeah, and he does reference, like, the academy in ancient Greece as being, yeah. you know, and obviously the, the academy under Aristotle raised Alexander the Great, and obviously mm-hmm. Bap is a huge fan of Alexander the Great. So, like, mm-hmm. the the academy, you know, made famously, you know, it was required that they train their body as well as their mind. So this is clearly something that's incredibly, you know, and then you also like just have to look at his old Twitter posts. Like he's just always posting mm-hmm. pictures of like listening men flexing their biceps. So yeah, well, especially Pietro Baselli is yeah, he just this guy he simped over. Um, the engineer, yeah, the, the Itali- Italian engineer, right? This is just the like Italian engineer. I mean, look, he's also a bodybuilder. The, the guy's jacked as anything. I mean, it's but, I mean, good on him. Like being an engineer and jacked is pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so clearly discouraging physical perfection is another way that men are kept weak. And you know, this is he he talks about men watching sport on TV rather than playing sport. Talks about men drinking. I think it was like vegetable oil smoothies. And oh, have soy, you seen those uh, conversations soy, of about course, soy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the phytoestrogens like, in soy. The phytoestrogens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Making you into a, a, a feminizing, beaten new male. Giving, giving you um, moobs. Moobs, yeah. Yeah, yeah, moves, moves and I mean, getting you kind of, it's kind of derivative. Kind of, it's not that original. It's very red pill, I reckon. Yeah, that 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 part. Yeah, it was that was very you know r slash red pill. That was that was that aspect is less fun than the the kobolds living under a mountain are the remnants of a long forgotten civilization. 
I enjoyed and, that and we, did, we did touch on it a little bit, but I suppose we can look at it from a more historical perspective is like with regards to women, you know, acquiring more um, political power. Like he obviously does not have a good view of like, I, I think like the, like the feminist movement and the way that women, I guess, yeah. I, I suppose through the suffragette movement, like basically uh, acquired political power. And I don't know if he fully explains it. Maybe it's just because um, it's been a little while since I read the book, but it seems to be some sort of interplay with democracy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and definitely, how, definitely. And how that, uh, like, maybe it's the shadow masters, the master of slaves, um, who have used the mechanisms of democracy to basically enable women in order to, like, be able to seize more political power historically mm-hmm. it's am i reading into it correctly i don't think that's unfair if it is unfair and you're listening bronze age pervert just let us know. <laughs> please let us know <laughs> in the comments below <laughs> could you imagine if we got to talk to this guy fuck yeah dude i would legitimately like actually be keen to talk to him yeah definitely yeah anyway I mean, it's, look, quite, in- it's fascinating i suppose mm. one thing that we haven't talked in that maybe it relates to how we got here maybe, um, is regards to like the different races. Yeah. That, yeah. Let's, let's get into let's race. Talk we've about race. About women. <laughs> let's talk about race. Let's, let's talk. We're talking about the, the gays and the lesbians and the women. We haven't yeah. talked about the race. <laughs> what people's does he like Jack? And maybe we don't have to say why he likes them yet, but who, who does he like? Well, I was disappointed because it's a bit boring that he says he likes white people the most because, you know, that's, <laughs> that's old hat. Like, I've heard that before. Come on, man. I, I want to hear, hear supremacists from other races. Yeah. White people know. have the greatest need for space. But which you means know what? You know, no, 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 Jack. Okay. Like, i got to stick up for Bronze Age because he, <laughs> <laughs> because he, like, yes, he does, you know, put um, white people. Anglo-European, I assume. Um, well, not assume. He does specifically talk about Anglo's um, at, at the apex, at the zenith of the um, mm. racial ziggurat. And uh, but he he does he does have a place in his heart for some other other races, you know, and some other cultural groups. That's true. He's not an out and out, just like straight up black and white, so to speak, racial supremacist. He doesn't mind the Japanese. I think he quite likes the Japanese, actually. So, yeah. Okay. So he likes the Japanese. He clearly likes white people, Western Europeans. Um, Mm. He prefers Africans to Chinese people. Yes. Now, they have a greater need for space. China, whoa, 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 we're getting into explanations here. We're really good to just like construct the hierarchy first, mate. Yeah, so, obviously, <laughs> let's, according, according to true science, let's find according a hierarchy of biology. We need to take an ontological approach to this, uh, to, to the issue of, of race. <laughs> so, clearly, whites are at the top. Um, and I must say, it's a clearly. real privilege to be able to share electrons with you right now. Jack. <laughs> as the one as the one of the two of us with the greatest need for space. <laughs> so then people like 
So it's not, it's so like we must make a distinction between different types of Asian people. So we can say at least five Asian people that I can think of at the top of my head that he refers to directly in the book, but he doesn't lump all Asian people in together, right? So he, he explicitly mm. mentions Filipinos. He explicitly mentions Indians or like South Asians. He explicitly mentions Japanese people. He explicitly mm. it mentions Chinese, in particular the Han Chinese, and he explicitly mentions the Mongolians. Yeah, that's he, that's he doesn't that's he doesn't regard the, regard them all the same. In fact, there's clearly a a hierarchy within the sort of Asian group of peoples. Indians and Filipinos are ugly. He he makes yes. that much clear. He, <laughs> <laughs> so easily, <laughs> Jack. You know, you know this is going to be cut up. Like this is going to be clipped down one day, and you're just this is going to be plastered all over, like <laughs> Vice, Jack. No, sorry, I won't say your name. Cut, edit that out. <laughs> Jack says Asians and Filipinos are ugly. <laughs> yeah. So he 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 attributes the fact that. The Filipinos and Indian people are ugly to that they marry for financial reasons. So they're, yes. they're not producing young on the basis of, you know, you take a superior woman and a superior man and they produce superior offspring. It's for yes. financial reasons, which is why Instead of like they're ugly kind of utilitarian. And, and they don't, don't and why they don't win many medals at the Olympics. Yeah, his exact explanation of why India, despite having such a large population, just does not perform. And you know, you know, you know what? Like, actually, you know, just as just as an aside, it is a curiosity as to why India doesn't win more <laughs> medals. I don't know if I would agree with his causal explanation. <laughs> anyway, okay. he does he does those soften his stance on on the Philippines by saying that, oh, was it like they have a good sense of humour or something? Yeah, I and I assume he probably likes Duterte. That that wouldn't surprise me, although, you know, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a bigger leap than I as a respected anthropologist would probably be willing no, to make. Yeah, you're right. I think um, that's I've very got, intellectually I, dishonest I, of me. I apologise. Bear in mind my, yeah, my, my academic credibility. I took... It took me seven years to get this PhD in internet anthropology. <laughs> so, okay. So now, now there's now this the really interesting one. Okay, so I, I, you know, okay, let's let's talk about the Han Chinese for a second. Yeah. Okay. So I think so, we've already mentioned that they're really bad. Yeah, like really bad, right? He he really does not like them. They eat really with their mouths like open. High population take up a lot of. Sp- a lot of space don't respect personal yeah. space he, he he just doesn't like them like look at beijing look at the size of it look at how much air pollution has man like yeah you know but like on the, a legitimate level olympics, like oh man at the olympics though unlike i mean it. have you have you seen the chinese weightlifting team if you're talking dude, about aesthetic physiques dude have you seen the chinese um like circus ballet are they also jacked oh dude Dude, it's legitimately, it's like one of the most incredible things you'll ever see. It's like this mixture of like acrobatics and circus performance, but also ballet. So they'll do like Swan Lake, but they'll have like this jacked Chinese dude, like Han Chinese guy, like probably 6'4", like shredded, like he looks like a triangle on legs, right? And he'll have like, he'll basically be like 
basketball spinning like a ballerina, a, a small Chinese lady on, on his fingers, like spinning her like a basketball pretty much. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. And he's, <laughs> he's shredded. So yeah. obviously the Chinese so look, maybe 20- above the Indian in the racial hierarchy, in BAP's racial hierarchy. Yeah, look, I think BAP is being unfair to the Chinese when it comes to getting jacked. There are, there are clear examples of jacked Han Chinese, which I I think BAP is being unfair to and not acknowledging. And there, also, is, there are some very aesthetic people there. I think I, I would also say that BAP should, like, you know, enhance his cross-cultural readings, like, because I would think that somebody like Sun Tzu would be, you know, right up BAP's alley of, like, reading. Yeah, you know? yeah, you'd think so. You'd think so, right? But he, but he doesn't yeah, like I mean, the bureaucracies that, of the Chinese. Mm, he doesn't like the yeah, giant I mean, Bron- of the Bronze Chinese. Age pervert, Bronze Age pervert is very partial to people who are good at violence. And yes, yeah, so by and all accounts, good at violence. And the Chinese have a long and rich history of extreme violence. They are, yeah. Historically, they're really good. Really, really good. So violence. now, yeah, Japanese. He likes them. He likes, and why does he like them? Look, I'm not actually sure why he likes them. No, I don't and know why he likes them. The, the things he talks about in, well, I, I think he likes them because he's a weed, but, <laughs> like, you know, I, I, I say that keeping my academic integrity intact, that's not a leap. That's a reasonable assertion. <laughs> he, so, like, he, he talks about, I mean, look, it's, that's also a high population density area. I mean, what, Tokyo is what, so this is million people in it or something, right? something like that. Unless yeah, you posit yeah. the so idea that the, the Japanese are using Tokyo and Shanghai as uh, was kind of like pre- to prepare for war. But, you know, it doesn't seem mm. like they're preparing for war. And he never mentioned yeah, Seoul. Um, and he you never know, mentioned the Koreans. No. He doesn't really go into why he likes the Japanese, but no, he likes the Japanese. I assume it has a lot. I think it has a lot to do with with hentai, but <laughs> he he never goes into that. No, he 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 does explicitly say that like the Japanese culture likes beauty. Oh, like likes. Okay. Do you remember that bit? So so he does talk about <laughs> that they that they're graceful, polite. And clean, and they have a respect for beauty. You know, like the geishas. Mm-hmm. And yeah, all right, all right. Maybe I was being so unfair to it. The most interesting of the of the Asian sub races, I think, is the Mongolians. In, in yeah, definitely. Because this 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 is where he really bucks the trend, and I think he probably really likes Mongolians. <laughs> um. There's a lot yeah, of space so in Mongolia. He, he appreciates their love of space. The mm-hmm. steps. In a number I mean, of points can't. in the book, he talks about how good the steps are. Yeah, oh, he's a big fan. He, they're very warlike, I think. You know, they, they have a strong history of, like, you know, like conquering the world, you know, like Genghis. You yeah, know, yeah. like Genghis is essentially like Alexander the Great of Mongolia. Pretty much. So he, you know, it's as expected, he, he took the boring route of thinking of, you know, saying that white people are the best. But to his credit, he is more ecumenical racial essentialist than you expect. Yeah. And the interesting thing as well, you know, as a, as a, as a 
as a person who's not of any of those races. Um, he what, What's interesting is that he views like mixed race people as like he doesn't – he only has like one sentence or something in the book where he just sort of mentions that like, you know, if it weren't for like essentially colonisation or like I, say, or I guess like history, like mixed race people wouldn't – wouldn't exist or something like that. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I think he, he does have this clear sort of ontological approach approach to race and that that those boundaries should be respected, I suppose, or not necessarily, I suppose enforced by implication or that that would be the natural thing that would happen is that if we had this natural separation of races that like that, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have race people. He definitely seems to review to regard mixed race people as less good because he talks about how different races have different needs for space. And if you mix them, then you know the mixed race person is going to be confused about how much space they want. Oh yes. So, but in in that regard, like to, in, in, <laughs> oh, yes. in in defense of Bronze Age, right? You know, he's really coming from like a position of, you know, he's really thinking about the poor mixed race person who doesn't know how much space they need. Mm. You know, it's for their own benefit. Well, it's very un-Bronze Age for him to be concerned about the welfare of others. So, yes. Another another inconsistency. Another inconsistency. So, I think we've talked about race quite a bit. Is there anything else about race other than it essentially comes down to... Okay, who's who's filthy and lives in cities that are too big and gross? Yeah, yeah, that's basically it. And then you've got to weight that by how aesthetic they are. It all comes back to the need for space and aesthetics. (laughs) It actually does. You know, (laughs) German for for him, for him, it seems to be like the Periclean Greece or around Periclean Athens around that time, or the the Germanic tribesmen. Uh, like you know, the the Visigoths and things like that, who were free, uncivilized, you know, aesthetic as fuck, everything you could want in a group of men. Mm. They're they're the the apex. Then you've got the Mongolians, they're good. You've got yeah, the, like the Japanese, they're good. Well, they have you've the got... samurai as well, you know. Yeah, they're cool. Yeah, samurai cool. Yeah. Then you you've got you've got. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure yet. Africa's a bit of a wild card because he just brings it up, I think, a handful of times, just saying they have a greater need for space than Chinese people. I don't think he likes Africans. We can, (laughs) yeah, I'm going to go ahead and assume he doesn't like them much. He never mentions Arabs, but of course. No, he he mentions mentions the Bedouin um, reasonably, you know, approvingly because they were nomadic and being a nomad's cool because it's not agricultural. It's not, and you do require a lot of space if you're a nomad. Yeah. So oh, before I, they settled down, I think he he regards at least the Bedouin before okay, you know they became cut. There's and, one important and got into to living in one place. Yeah. Before that, they were they were good. Fucking. I God completely damn. can't believe I forgot about his view of Arabs. Shame Stationary, on fucking beta race. Settling in a single location, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so no, okay. There is okay. What is the most important ethnic group that we have missed out 
Jack. Ah. Uh. <laughs> I don't know. What's the, I what's, up the Germans what's and the Greeks. The ethnic group. <laughs> the ethnic group that, of course, just the nerdish ones. <laughs> oh, man. How could I forget the Germans? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Mate. He doesn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> you gave away the, the punchline, man. Yeah. Okay. You guess. Spoiler, spoiler warning. Spoiler he doesn't alert. like the Jews. <laughs> spoiler alert. He doesn't like them. Yeah. <laughs> so this sunk was, it. Could you? No, no, no. This, Imagine what a plot twist that would have been if actually he came out and he was like, you know what? The Jews, they're pretty bloody good. The best. <laughs> the best. No, Chef's he had, kiss. Mwah. He just had to toe the typical white supremacist line and throw the Jews yeah, under the this bus. Was, How uninventive. This is a boring bit. This is a boring yeah. bit because, like, with the Mongolians, that was a plot twist. This is just, I mean, <laughs> you know, just saying, he, look, to his credit, he says the Jews used to be cool when they were more warlike. But I think he would have liked them, you know, when it was like good old days, you know, the Canaanites, you know, hidden heads with the Israelites and, you know, you know, conquering people and all mm. that sort of stuff. Yeah. Tribal. Which warfare. does make me wonder what he'd think of, say, Israel at the moment, you know, where they're certainly not above shooting a rocket at someone. But, you know, that's an interesting point because surely so he I'd likes, be um, to know what sure he likes Benji, right? No, he wouldn't like. Yeah, Bibi, you'd think is his kind of guy, but yeah. he's a fucking alpha. You want to talk about a guy who will fuck you up, man? Like Benji will come to your house and rip your head off, mate. I yeah, look, shoot a torpedo through your window, like yeah, Benjamin Netanyahu is. Yeah, he he's he's really good at violence. He <laughs> really good at violence. So he's, yeah, he knows how to be violent. So. <laughs> he knows how to be very violent. He knows. So how that's to, yeah, that's so, that's a big question mark. What he'd think of Israel now? It's funny that he does. He just talks a lot of shit about Jewish people, but he doesn't actually like talk about Israel. It's interesting. Yeah, well, especially the main problem with the Jews is, and that. <laughs> That, well, he doesn't really talk about space. Make me unemployable. Is <laughs> for him the main problem is that they've led to the nerd, you know, yeah, archetypal like character in our. I mean, look at look how look how look how many Nobel prizes they've won, Jack. Really? <laughs> you fucking kidding me? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but, but his his idea of the nerd, which is, I think, the main way that Jews have have tripped up say, you know, good, proud German barbarians is yeah. through, through, through the nerd. So Jews love, they, they like numerical knowledge and they like language and hate art, you know, say representations of beauty. And through that they've created the nerd who is someone of middling intelligence often, you know, a midwit. And um, who thinks someone they often thinks they're smarter than they who, are. Like, yeah, definitely. Like you and I, obviously. You know, reminiscent of his criticism of Darwin, they like to collect petty facts and then regurgitate them. And this is true. I mean, that was kind of our like undergraduate. They know a lot. Yeah, that. Well, I mean, it was, <laughs> it was kind of our definitely was degree. me in undergrad and probably is me now. <laughs> uh, they, so, so, and 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 these nerds tend to be bad males. Like they're they're the ones who are constantly trying to impress women and debase themselves for women. They tend to become new males. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming they develop, develop a passion for soy products. 
Yeah. All, so all of the all of the worst things in men. What was surprising can though, was can that... be traced or largely traced to nerds, which which are the creation of of Jewish. So the the interesting thing is, he doesn't Am I go, wrong? He doesn't he doesn't go full on like like full blown uh, Jewish conspiracy. You know, he it's more of a kind of no. Um, to his credit, he doesn't. It's more like a miasmic sort of just they kind of have influenced the culture such that we have nerdishness, not not explicit, oh, the Jews run the yeah, world. Sort of uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I suppose yeah, it it's, kind of, like a, it's kind of like a soft be, anti-Semitism. They, yeah, you're right. There, there were a few plot twists. It wasn't your straight-ahead, like, you know, George Soros creating coronavirus himself and unleashed so, on the world. It's a bit, it's a bit more... It's a, it's a bit different. It's, so clearly it's mostly Bronze they're Age, responsible for the nerd. Bronze Age has a very nuanced view of race. <laughs> no, yeah, it's, there's, there's more to it than I would have guessed at the start. Yeah. There's, oh, there's no, another part. interesting point is that he does like, it's, and, you know, this intersects with his views of, on, on, like, nationalism, you know, and, like, mm. how he's not necessarily saying that, like, okay, and, you know, like, Anglo-White should go out there and rule the world, you know, like, he's not advocating, like, the final solution, like, you know, or whatever, because, like, for example, he's sympathetic towards the native Fijians against oh, in, right. their, in, the, in their coup against the like the the Hindus, the like Indian, yeah, the Indian Fijians, the Indian Fijians. You know, because like how many years ago, like ten, fifteen years ago, um, with the coup, and Frank. he he's he seems to be sympathetic towards their fight to get quote unquote get back their country or whatever and he clearly doesn't like indians so and you know if you've ever seen a fijian dude like they're pretty fucking shredded you know like native fijian dudes like <laughs> like they're pretty they're i feel like, like there's a there's a common theme to a lot of this like clearly like you've seen the sevens have you ever seen sevens rugby no nah. oh dude watch sevens rugby man these fijian dudes they shred they shred everybody to pieces. No, I'm gonna they're like right crazy. Now. They're so crazy. And they're like Fijian they're rugby s- players. Say so it's Fijian rugby player sevens. Like the, the, the number seven. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're like legitimately like crazy. So he you know, I don't know how many Indian Fijians are on that team, but I don't think there's that many. I think it's mostly a native team. So yeah, like he he likes ethno nationalism, and he, but he, it's not inherently white ethno nationalism because he he seems to be supportive of yeah Fijian native ethno nationalism. Yeah, an additional wrinkle to his ethno nationalism is he seems to really like city states. He, yeah, he, he seems really to quite like the states. idea of. Ethno city states. Yeah, I, I'd say if we could sum it up, basically, we would. We, I think, it would look. You know, the, his ideal world would look something along the lines of ethno city states with strong men and submissive women, where the city states are nice and clean, and there's a committal to beauty, and the mm. f- function of the city is to be a walled garden, garden where the men of the city can rest and prepare for war. Between wars, yeah, and and it's ruled 
by a military but not a military dictatorship. That his view of how it should be a military is that class. You have, well, you you have bands of male friends who will fight for each other, who in times of need will all come together and, you and know, will occasionally castrate men in the neighbouring city. Yeah, exactly. They'll, they'll occasionally... <laughs> and, and, and there's no nerds. No nerds. Or if there are nerds, then yeah, they're in there. Right. Unix. Unix, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think he... You know, in a weird way, I think he would actually agree with what we just said. Maybe not in so so many so words, many. but I don't maybe, feel as though not. we misrepresent misrepresented him just then. Oh look, I, I'm not trying to misrepresent this guy. I'm trying to give my best, like my best faith interpretation. I think that is what, the world according to the Bronze Age pervert. No? I think I've been quite faithful to the text. Okay, well, I think we've covered everything except for the future. He's optimistic about the future. He reckons our lifetimes <laughs> we're going to see a re-emergence. So he he reckons Donald Trump is just the beginning. Like Donald Trump is not the the Bronze Age man for him. So say Donald Trump's not a warrior. I think that's he surprising. relies on other people I think that's for security. Because I was kind of expecting this to be like, you know, at some point he would basically just like sing the praises of Trump. But he didn't. Yeah. Trump is not perfect. He likes him, but He's just the beginning. He reckons we're going to see, mm. you know, Caesars and Genghis Khan's re-emerge within our lifetimes and yeah, yeah, the yeah. Leviathan will crumble. Or and potentially crumble, coming from then, the insides of the military, you know, strong men yeah, from the so there are, taking over, kind of like a Fiji situation potentially, but all over the world. He reckons these people are going to band together, leave our you know, yeast societies, go to the tropics and form their own governments, and go back to piracy because he really likes pirates. Yeah, so he call, he calls the coming age, roughly, if I remember correctly, the, the coming age of piracy or the new the new golden age of piracy. Specifically from the tropics. Yeah, look, so I guess you, you, you can glisten in sweat in the tropics. It's a good place to be. No, you state. don't need baby oil. Yeah. No. Yeah, you can you walk can around be shirt off all the time. Year-round. Um, look, it's, it's there's really lots of islands to dominate. So long, as, so long as you have enough chalk to grip a barbell, you know, from you don't have sweaty palms to drop that 300 kilo deadlift, it's a good spot. Yeah, I I can yeah. see where he's coming from with that. And then that that brings us probably to the last part that you know, the last main part that we we should discuss, which is his view on what people can do now to start bringing about this. And this was mm. one of my favourite sections, not because it this was practical guides for people who want to bring about the new age. Yeah. So if you want to sign up. I didn't say anything. Yeah, nothing that I didn't already know, except it was much more coherent. Like the, the, this part was very readable. Yeah, the, the book became I'll, I'll give him coherent that. towards the end. It was part two. Yeah, it was like yeah. just complete insanity. A parable of iron prison. Oh God. Anyways, we're, we're, sorry, we keep on going with. <laughs> yeah, basically, oh. he talks about how if you want to get into politics and you believe in the coming Bronze Age or you know, atavism of the Bronze Age, then you need to hide your, in, in his words, hide your power level. You've got to at least exteriorly adopt. 
more mainstream views yeah. until until the time comes when you can reveal your power level. Then you can also fight with the power of memes and with with video. So he regards video yeah, he's kind as of... the the way to communicate with the masses. And I don't disagree. I think video probably is the dominant. He does have an interesting communication. It's almost like it's almost like he's proposing some sort of like distributed, like decentralized um, sort of propaganda machine. You yeah. Know, where nobody's directly, he's kind of like, he's almost like, you know, like that quote from um, the, the Dark Knight where it's like, you know, some, some men just want to see the world burn, you know, except he doesn't want to see the world burn necessarily in the same way, but he's just kind of like sowing, sowing ideas. He's just putting it out there like, hey, memes are good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's decentralised. And he uses the example of the 2016 Trump campaign where people, you know, Trump supporters came greatest campaign used memes to, yeah. And look, to be fair, some of those memes were really true good. I mean, election. The, the Clinton campaign got blown away when it came to you, the, the meme battleground. They just didn't have what it Yeah, they got caught, man. They got yeah completely cut, dude. Seriously, so dude, you got to give Trump so they, some credit, dude. The twenty sixteen election was fucking hectic. He crushed it. It was en- it was entertaining as, as anything. So like, like you, mean, gotta, you know, this is a twenty. So he's right. So Bronze Age is writing this halfway through the first Trump presidency, the first of many, yeah. and the first yeah, of so, <laughs> twenty eighteen. But but but. Okay, so the fu- sorry, back to the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're so- selling meme, meme propaganda, which distributed meme mm-hmm. engine. Yeah, so that's the dis- that's the distributed arm. Then he actually has an organised arm. So he talks about the need to yeah. form movements, and he says that these should be social movements first and foremost, with an implicit. This is a really interesting part. Goal. I enjoyed this part. So with, with yeah. they. They have to be social movements with an implicit political goal. They can't be political, like ex- explicitly political movements. But um, it, it, it's almost wholesome what he proposes. What he proposes, yeah, I like the sound of a lot of what he proposes. Like if, if they were national nationalists at the same time, like maybe. <laughs> <laughs> apart, apart from the ethno nationalism and misogyny, it's 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 not bad. So, so what, what, what he does he proposes, say? So, you know, what are the things missing in our society? So male friendship, aesthetics, physical fitness, mm-hmm. and a sense, of, a sense of belonging and a sense of, you know, the, the sublimity of nature. Yeah, so he, proposes, that, that we have he basically proposes the Boy Scouts. <laughs> like essentially. Yeah, yeah, yes, <laughs> it, it, he proposes the Boy Scouts. He proposes the, like, he, ethno-nationalists. Boy Scouts, <laughs> which, like, let's be honest, like, it's kind of getting back to the Boy Scouts roots, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the ethno nationalist part might be a bit redundant, depending on how far back you go with the Boy Scouts. But, so he he says, okay, so you're getting you're getting boys together, and you teach them that it's okay to have close male friendships, and that it's not gay. You get them out, and you get them out in nature, so they're moving. So there's around. lots of undominated it's, space. Yeah, undominated space. You know, you're not going to get aesthetic. You're not going to get shredded by walking around in nature, but it, it builds a foundation. Yeah, you know, you no can, masturbating. You can, no mas- <laughs> strict no masturbation policy. 
you inculcate the correct values when you're you're out in the wilderness with them. Of racial no women. <laughs> no women is really important because really important. women we must have hard they, gender so, segregation. So women women provoke in men, you know, sexually competitive desires. And women and and women seek these out Tempstress. to make men compete for them. Like they yeah, yeah, they're 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 succubi. <laughs> and and you you don't want that clearly ethno nationalist boy scouts clearly <laughs> I mean, that, that's self evident right so should we should we do we even really need to say no women it at this point given given the man's worldview <laughs> <laughs> I just I just want to make sure there's no confusion that you can't have women there is in absolutely the, no in the Bronze Age boy scouts. In Ethno-nationalist Bronze Age boys gets. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you have these movements. He says it's really important not to have any violence and to openly disavow, uh, publicly disavow, and says that you will get Asian <laughs> See, provocateurs in there. One of the parts where he's inconsistent because it's like we're going into the age of piracy, right, where we get, we get to have Blackbeards and Cortezes and mm. fucking, you know, Periclitis and shit again, um, but in order to get there, we've got to go like non-violent route, right? We've just got to organize no, together, go on camping trips and shit. He's just being pragmatic. Yeah, we I live in a so. cucked world at the moment. We live in the trash <laughs> world, and <laughs> the, the way that you bring about, yeah, the way you bring about the sigma male paradise is you've you've got to be non-violent for a bit. Ruled by uh, just, Pietro, you've got to suck it up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, you could. You, it, this is a an issue of um, delayed gratification. You've got to delay your bloodlust. Exactly. Until we it's can like establish the, military autocracy, autocratic like, military nation states, and uh, but in between here and there, got to sell some fucking brownies. Got to go yeah, out. And no, no doubt. Look, it's. It's the masturbating chimp. You gotta, you've got to put off gratification. You can't just masturbate in your cage whenever. That's why you must have chalk on your hands at all time in case, one, you need to deadlift something, and two, yeah. to stop, to prevent you from from succumbing to the temptation to masturbate. <laughs> just it's, have chalk it's, on your hands. <laughs> I, I couldn't put it better myself. <laughs> so it makes you wider. Yeah, oh, yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> what else? What else? Oh, you've got a tan, actually. He he says that you've um. He just says kind of out of nowhere that you have to tan for thirty minutes a day because we're meant to work have to the sun. No, no, because he cares about. Well, there's the sun, but also like, or one, the sun is alpha as fuck. Secondly, I mean, uh, it's a like, it's a giant nuclear fusion reaction. Like that is pretty alpha. Just a yeah, big like if I were in space. like, yeah, it's you know a billion year old explosion. How the fuck are you get any more alpha than that? But also, like he, he so that's in a that's in a diatribe he has about like looking after yourself and like it's related yeah. to health. And he clearly values health and and like vitamin D and like eating healthy and exercising and stuff. You know, which you know, if you if you took away all the sort of misogyny and homophobia and anti-Semitism and <laughs> ethno-nationalism, you know, some of his values are like fairly like agreeable. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from all the disagreeable values, he has some agreeable ones. 
like telling young men to go and get a tan, spend some time in the sun, make sure you eat healthy and work out is like pretty, it's pretty great, really. Yeah, um, look, I think the, we need more Scout, role males like this. The, the Boy Scout idea, except for some of the less savoury aspects, isn't isn't too bad. Yeah, I think a lot of young men are very, very lonely. So and so something yeah, like okay. that to get them moving, to get them friends, isn't bad. It's just. But it's yeah, it's it's purely a means towards to, to, yes. towards the age of piracy, <laughs> <laughs> which is itself a noble pursuit. So, um, is there anything else about the future? Like, let's just be clear: like, the age of piracy is a good thing. We want well, the un- age of piracy. Unambiguous. <laughs> unambiguously, <laughs> I cannot wait to to captain a ship somewhere on the equator, rob people blind castrate islands worth of boys, get shredded, get tanned. Impose my will on space. Impose, <laughs> spread through space. <laughs> and not masturbate. And crush nerds <laughs> without masturbating. <laughs> so what else about the future is there that's interesting? I don't know. It, it is interesting that he, he views the coming age really as the few most worthy members of our society just leaving rather than trying to remake existing societies. I do think that's slightly different because if, yeah, if he, you look he's at almost like a if you look at say really, yeah, because if you look at other you know ethno nationalist books like say the Turner Diaries, that's very much like you ethnically cleanse an existing society. Whereas this guy's saying the best will just move somewhere else. Yeah, so you know he he sets himself apart from some other racial extremists in that way. So, ratings. What we five, want to do is we stars. rate we rate books based on on two metrics. One, we evaluate how convincing it is. You know, out of 10, how convinced are you? 0, totally unconvinced. 10, you are a convert. You are joining the ethno-nationalist boy scouts. The next metric is what's the chance that this is a troll from 0% to 100%. So, Levi, on these two measures, what are your thoughts on Bronze Age mindset? The first one, which is uh, how convinced am I? Like how ready am I to, to, to pick up, I suppose, a, a scabbard and start just like the slice and dice it in my enemies? Start, um, start buccaneering. I, I See, here's my... <laughs> You know, maybe this is because I'm, you know, not an Anglo-Saxon and I, you know, I don't necessarily think, you know, as a mixed-race person, I don't necessarily feel as though, like, the world that Bronze Age is bringing about is necessarily a world in which I would find a place. I don't know if I would feel a, like, very strong sense of belonging in this world. So I could I, I feel like somewhat of a sideline supporter, really. But having said that, like I would say it's probably like a strong eight point five. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm kind of like in this position where, like, I like the idea, I'm down with it, but I, you know, just being realistic, like I'm, you know, I'm probably going to be one of the ones that'll have my balls cut off, you know, <laughs> because of, so, because I'm I made the mistake of being mixed race, so. But you I'd say like go have at thing. have at it, fellas. You know, go get that go get that fucking bronze age. What about you, Jack? Well 
as a as a proud Anglo-Saxon, I'm all for this world. <laughs> no, it's and Jack my... never has a job ever again. <laughs> <laughs> please, please don't employ me. No, it's with with this book. I found there were a handful of sections that, you know, a small number that I agreed with, you know, this thing about the political marionettes offering us only two choices, trying to convince us that the there are only Jews, two right, political Jack? positions. <laughs> and the stuff about Jews, right? You're saying the stuff that and the, and, and, and the stuff about that too, <laughs> naturally. Yeah. And then, you know, it, this, this is sort of something that's not a big surprise to anyone, but yes, that there are problems of money and problems of personal interests in science that can corrupt results. And then I found some of That's his a ideas. Very generous on, interpretation. <laughs> yes, no, I'm talking about the things I like. It's the shit sandwich <laughs> model. You offer something you like, something you don't like, something you like, and then your final thoughts. This is how you deliver criticism, Levi. <laughs> Constructive. Okay, 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 okay. Sorry. Keep it going. Constructive. I'm sure Brock Herbert is taking notes and will listen to what I've said for his sequel. <laughs> but. And then, you know, the final section where he's talking about the Boy Scouts is, I mean, it's interesting because that seems more practical, maybe because the rest of the book is quite incoherent. Like, even just the fact that that was mm. more coherent made mm. me more amenable to it. But, I mean, the, yeah, he finishes few things. There were a few things in there that were good. Then in terms of how entertaining it was, there were a few spins on, you know, your your standard ethno-nationalism, your standard misogyny, the fact that there are mole people living underground who are the remnants of a despicable and fallen former civilization. Yeah, there, there were some like fun that. parts of it that I didn't expect and that surprised me and were enjoyable. But for the most part, it's fairly tried and true tropes that you find you know you've you've heard elsewhere written in a way that is often annoying when he's trying to ape Nietzsche but is sometimes quite fun when he's writing you get the feeling that he's writing more as himself how he would write if he weren't you know just trying to be 2018 Nietzsche based on those things how convincing is it I'd give it a, a four out of ten it's so you're giving mostly, it a real rating yeah, look, <laughs> you're okay. rating. Okay, mostly, okay, okay, okay. No, keep on going. I'll, I'll reassess mostly, my 8.5. <laughs> mostly, <laughs> mostly forgettable. But with, like, you know, with enough fun bits to make it that I don't totally regret my time with it. Like, so say he came out with Bronze Age 2, I would be tempted to read it if it weren't too long. If it were under 150 pages... I would consider reading it. So maybe I wouldn't give it an 8.5. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm being totally serious. If you were being less ironic about looking forward to the coming ethno state that you probably wouldn't be a part of, what would you say? <laughs> ethno city states. I like his values of like health and getting shredded. Largely agree with him about the mole people. Yeah, look, I think there's, I think there's merit to it. <laughs> I don't, I, you know, I, I found, I, I think w w our, our soul sing in sync when it comes to the anti-establishment sort of vibes. I do agree that uh, with him at least on that level. 
probably the don't agree with memes. him on the race, the race stuff. Definitely agree <laughs> with him on the power of memes. Not 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 vibing the race stuff so much. So yeah, I've probably got to give him like a three. Ooh, I'm, but I'm, he could, I'm the sympathetic he, one now. You're the same, but I could easily bump that to like a five or six if 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 I got to get in on this fucking ethno state. <laughs> yeah. So look, if if you were white as me, it would be a nine and a half. Yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. Look, I'm really just butt hurt because I can't get in on the fucking Boy Scouts. <laughs> now, now that we've now that we've given our our academically sound scores based on how convinced we are, this we've how submitted likely- this to peer review to a peer review. Of our, I've already our submitted peers. the peer review. Yeah, it's going to be in nature. <laughs> oh yeah, look, I mean, Oxford University Press and Yale are already <laughs> coming to blows, physical blows over who can publish a transcript of this podcast. So, fucking nerds, <laughs> it, it's just a bunch of nerds. So, what was <laughs> but, the second question? <laughs> how likely is this <laughs> to be a troll? Okay, you go first. I read the blurb and thought this guy is probably a troll. I looked at this guy's posts on social media, thought this guy's probably a troll. While reading it, I swung back and forth quite a lot from thinking that this guy is completely sincere to this is an incredibly high-effort troll, but definitely a troll. At the moment, I reckon I would say I'm 70% sure that he's being sincere. I think this this is... too much effort to be a throwaway troll, definitely, and probably too much effort to be even a high-effort troll, and this guy is making money off it. So... Yeah, off his persona, yeah. yeah. 70% chance this guy is being serious. Yeah. So I reckon, I reckon that it's probably... I would put it at, like, 90 or something like that. I reckon he's he's dead serious, and the reason why I think that the primary evidence to my perspective is the ongoing nature of his online persona. Yeah, the, the, that's the, right. the sustained like it would be one thing if this guy just wrote this book, or if this guy just had the Twitter and he wrote the book. You could argue, yeah, like the Twitter accounts taking the piss. And this book's just him taking the piss. But, like, he has continued on in relative obscurity. Like, look, I, you know, we don't have 15,000 followers. We don't have got zero followers. Um, <laughs> so, so like, who's who, who do we say what's obscure and what's not? But, like, in all seriousness, like, he has a Telegram group of 15,000 people. Now, that seems like a lot to us, but it's actually fuck all on the internet. He is a very obscure person and he has continued his persona um, in his obscurity and he's making money off it. And, um, and I think in particular, when you listen to him, I think he sounds really sincere on his podcast. Um, but I just can't, I can't figure out which parts within his persona are just weird, zany, you know, like the title of his podcast and you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. how, how you separate rhythms. that from, and I, this is why I think that bronze age mindset really was actually like just a wonder, wonderful, wonderful piece of source material for our first episode. Cause yeah, even yeah. then I can't, I can't, I can't give it a hundred percent because there are just these moments of just like utter ridiculousness in the book and, you know, parts of his online persona, they just like, come on, man, there's no way you're real. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, that's 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 the beauty of almost eight billion people on Earth plus the internet is you you turn up some interesting people. Which is if we why really are living in like in the greatest age of humanity. I think we are, and this this is why people like us, esteemed academics, are necessary. Esteemed, this is the highest honors. You know what I like? We are expressions of the universal will. We are here to um, really subject this to a high level of scrutiny. So I, I, you know, just to leave us on a really positive note, I, I like the idea. I, I, I like to imagine when I'm going to bed at night, as I drift off to sleep, I envisage Mister Bronze Age, um, kind of sauntering off down some, you know, Mediterranean beach, um, traps, looking juicy, mm, um, naturally, and he's just got this fucking bizarre narrative in his head about where the world is going. And he think he like legitimately thinks like, oh yeah, we're, we're heading into an age of piracy. <laughs> and this is, this is, this is the world that he lives in. Maybe we're just a bunch of cucks and don't see where the world's going. Yeah. And I think that's really quite beautiful because he's a beautiful person and and I hope his premonitions of the future are, are, are true and accurate. God, I hope he's shredded. I hope he's over so, twenty kilos of lean muscle. Could you could you imagine if he's like six five, one twenty, like shredded to the bones? That would make me so happy. That would make me a Bronze Age disciple. Instantly. Oh god, I god could not resist resist a set of juicy shredded lats that wrote the Bronze Age mindset. No, no homo there. No, this is a this is a Bronze Age friendship. This <laughs> on that note, thank you for listening to the first episode of Pose Law Podcast. I'm Jack with my esteemed colleague Levi. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Good night. <laughs>